son was shot and he was like, eh, for the best. Welcome to the Brain Food Podcast, the Brain Food Show, Brain Food. We are having a little bit of discussion over what our final name is going to be. I think in iTunes it might be showing. This is episode two, by the way, so really early days. Uh, what What is the situation on our name so far, Damon? Welcome. I think, it's good to I have think you. We're, yeah, I think we're good with the uh, the Brain Food Show right now. We are hoping to move to, to Brain Food alone, ultimately, if possible, right? Because Brain Food is, is not an apparently entirely unique idea, and we want to make sure we're not tra- stepping on any trademarks. Yeah, yeah, so we actually got permission from the person who we thought was the first to ever use it to use it. But then on literally the day of publishing, uh, the, uh, our host was like, hey, there's this person from like 2008 who used it before. And from uh, where were they from? Exactly. Uh, Luxembourg. I feel like Luxembourg. Yeah. And they used it. Uh, and so, yeah, that we we're emailing them. So then we switched it to the Brain Food Show for now. Yes, with weird spacing as well, I think, on that first episode because they rejected us. <laughs> there was some problem with a resubmission or something, which which meant we had to delete one of the space. You handled this. You're probably best to describe it. Yeah, I uh, attempted to submit it and it said I had already submitted it, even though I had not already submitted it. <laughs> okay. And so then I just changed the spacing of the title and that made iTunes happy. But if I, I did search in my Android, I think it's called Podcast Addict app, and I searched Brain Food and we came up on the first page, oh, nice. but there were only four. We were at the bottom. The rest of them were like other podcasts from many years ago that haven't been published in a long time. And some of them didn't even have like an exact match for brain food. So I'm assuming, hopefully, we'll rise up those rankings to be the number one show named Brain Food with a little bit of luck. Okay, with that out of the way, I, I think we that was something we were going to answer in the Q&A section, but it's that kind of made sense to me to move it to the top about the brain food name. Oh, why is it called brain food? That's another question we need to answer. Food for the brain, right? Yeah, we've Simple. been using that since like, I think the beginning, maybe not on day one of today, I found out in like late 2009, but like very yeah. close to that, it was the tagline, so. Was it? I, I'm I feed your brain. Is that in the current logo or the old logo? Uh, it is in the current logo. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I feel like I should be more familiar with that. It's in the black box underneath, <laughs> right? I look at it so often. It's like the, it's it's the profile picture for the YouTube channel that I must look at. Like <laughs> I'm looking at it right now while we're looking at our outline document for this episode because your uh, Gmail, your your Google account has that picture. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that that header image on YouTube is not that. I made that and I'm really crappy at graphics and I made it in like two seconds. So we. Should should probably update that at some point it's really crappy looking <laughs> i didn't even know what it looks like i think you so rarely visit uh, as a youtuber yeah. you so rarely visit the my channel page of your own channel because you're always in the back end like replying to comments you don't go to the channel page to reply, reply to comments you go to that where they aggregate all the comments in the back ends but i am visiting it now oh it doesn't look bad it looks like it doesn't isn't that from the cover of the book yeah it was from the yeah exactly Brain Food for Hungry Minds. That's a good explanation of the name. What is the order for today? How should we do it? Should we uh, start off with the fun facts, then move into some business and then some Q&A and then wrap things up? That sounds good. Sounds good. Plugs we got to get in at the beginning. Um, newsletter. If you want to sign up to our newsletter, that is something you can do over on the website. Todayifoundout.com forward slash podcast. Forum. More importantly. In fact, don't sign up. Wait. Don't sign up for the newsletter. Sign up for the forum or sign up for both. Or is that going to be too much? People going to become overwhelmed? <laughs> I think let's push the forum for right now. All right. And then we can push the newsletter like next week. Forget the newsletter. It's crap. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> It's actually really good, right? Is that one? It, this is the one for your main website where you send people interesting stuff every week. Yes, but we're going to yeah. have a, des- a designated one for the brain food. Okay, so we are, okay, separate one as well. But don't sign up for that. Ignore everything I've just said. Go over and check out our forum at todayifoundout.com forward slash forum. 
or is it forum.today i found out this 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 it's ally a, document needs a, to be expanded <laughs> yeah you can you can do both okay. it's uh, forums.todayifoundout.com or if you prefer todayifoundout.com forward slash forums and that will take you to the forum or you can just click there's a there's a link in the header okay so lots of different ways to go there definitely check it out we've already got it up and running we've both got accounts it's nice to see people chiming in already in fact we've taken some of these people's questions and we're going to be answering them in the Q&A section get over there discuss an episode leave us feedback if you want to dispute facts you can try <laughs> like that seems to be what the comments for YouTube before did you want to add anything else in the intro? Uh, no, I think that's... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, I do. Okay. I do. Uh, also, go to iTunes and Google Play, whichever one you use, and uh, if you could rate and review the podcast, that would help us out immensely. I, I feel like we need to say that in a more podcasty way, man. Like, um, get over to iTunes and rate and review <laughs> the podcast, and don't forget to drop that five-star review, and maybe you'll get mentioned in the next episode. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that's against the terms of service, but it's something everyone seems to do. Uh, give us your honest feedback on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or, or five stars. Hello, this is uh, Simon jumping in from the future. I just want to make a note here. There was a minor point that came up in the conversation that we had not fully researched, and that was with regards to whether the heir of Emperor Franz Joseph, uh, oh, that's Archduke Franz Ferdinand, was Franz Joseph's son or not. Given he was the heir, we assumed he was and continued on with our conversation, but in the process of fact-checking the information said off the cuff in the episode, we found that this is actually not the case. Archduke Franz Ferdinand was Emperor Franz Joseph Joseph's nephew. He became the heir after both the death of Franz Ferdinand's father, that's Karl Ludwig, and the suicide of the emperor's son, Rudolf, who actually killed himself in something of a love-infused Romeo and Juliet-esque suicide pact with Baroness Marie Vatsera, whom he was having an affair with. This is only a really minor point in our conversation, something just mentioned off the cuff, but it really kills us when we get stuff wrong, so I just wanted to jump in with this correction. Head over to that forum that we mentioned a few times if you want to uh, have a go at us a little bit further, and let's get back to it. So, welcome to the facts section. Uh, we need to come up with a better name for this. Uh, what are we talking about today? Well, let's first, if anyone has a suggestion for a better name for oh, this, you what? Should, uh, leave it in the forum. <laughs> Where can we find that forum? Yeah, it's at uh, forums.todayifoundout.com. This is not going to get tired, is it? Uh, <laughs> get, get over to that forum. What are we talking about in the as yet sort of half nameless section? We are talking about what actually started World War One, which is not quite what most people would say. Like if you ask the uh, average person on the street, they would say something different. But what actually started it and then uh, leading into the Order of the White Feather, which was a really interesting um, group back in World War One in Britain. I am vaguely familiar with this from we studied World War One. It's part of like history, studied it at school. I'm vaguely familiar with the White Feather and what this is. I'm definitely familiar with the fact that a dude was shot. Um, Franz Ferdinand, who... Franz Ferdinand? It is Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. I always think that yeah. I'm going to screw it up and tell, say the name of that band, Franz Ferdinand, and then I realize they're actually the same, so I'm always safe. You know, take me out. Dun, 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 dun. You know this song? You know this band? I have no idea who that Oh, band really? <laughs> Where do we want to start today? I, I guess we're starting right at the beginning of the war, right? Or even before the yeah. war. Yeah. So, like, if you ask most people on the street, like, what started World War One, they would say it was the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife in June of 1914. But that would they sort would of... they really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, uh, we're doing an interview. Man on the street. Hey, what up? <laughs> they might not say that. They may not say the June of 1914 <laughs> thing. That might be a little niche. But the point being, 
is that's not actually like it's sort of like loosely correct, but not actually because it turns out like nobody actually cared that he got assassinated. It was even that that his own Emperor Franz Joseph himself said, God will not be mocked. A higher power had put back in order what I couldn't maintain. Like he didn't like he didn't like his heir, basically. And there was also like in the Austrian newspaper, it was um, reported, they said uh, the event almost failed to make any impression whatever on Sunday and Monday, the crowds in Vienna listened to music and drank wine as if nothing had happened. And they also stated like the in the political circles around, it was just like, yeah, this is probably for the best. Like he, w- he wasn't going to be good. Like it's good that he's dead now. So this was his son? Yeah. And so like his, yeah. <laughs> his son was shot and he was like, eh, for the best, basically. It was, like- it was, it was basic. It was noted that like, yeah, he, he deeply disliked him as an heir. Like it was wow. this, it was for the best that they, he wasn't around anymore to, you know, take over. Uh, so wow. This, this obviously is a question then like, all right, so if nobody cared, why, <laughs> why go to war over it? Like, you know, in the end. And okay. so it turned. It turns out, so Austria-Hungary, uh, they had been looking to, looking for an excuse to have a war against Serbia because they wanted to take back some um, lands and possibly, you know, destroy the country or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they, it was just sort of a preventative war, you know, like so in the Balkan Wars, they had lost some land. So let's let's go take it back. So this is a great excuse to do that. Um but what? like they they use this as an excuse to start a war that doesn't sound familiar or like it's ever repeated in history <laughs> exactly so up until this point they hadn't gone to war because they were they were afraid that russia would jump in because they had a treaty with serbia and they they weren't and germany at that point they couldn't get germany's support for a war so they were if russia stepped in they were afraid you know they'd lose the war um, they just needed an so, excuse basically yeah so they need an excuse and they needed an excuse to get germany on their side and so that's germany said okay if russia steps in we'll we'll go to war but it's important to know here like they actually kind of hoped and kind of thought it might not russia might not actually come to serbia's aid because they figured it, the war would be really quick it would be over really fast and mm-hmm. russia would just be like yeah we don't really feel obligated yet to come to war so it would just be over before you know russia felt all right let's let's join so so basically i don't know it seems like every every tv show that deals with time travel or you know book someone will be like you gotta go back and kill that serbian dude who killed the archduke's archduke mm-hmm. franz ferdinand because that prevents the first world war and then the first world war leads to the second world war and millions of lives will be saved and essentially what would basically happen is it's like this emperor dude the franz joseph guy would just be uh, another excuse is going to roll along at some point and i'll just use that yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like yeah they would have found a way at some point i'm sure okay um, so we but... really when we've invented our time machine we need to go back and kill this friend joseph dude not the not the assassin <laughs> yeah, yeah. Noted. Or, or so the assassination happens and then they you know have their excuse they get germany's uh-huh. uh, germany says all right we're gonna back you and so all right let's go to war so this set off like a series of events that was just all tied around all these treaties that all these countries had had going back to, you know, whatever each one was. And so we have, let's see, let's, uh, you want let's me read to, through them. Do you want to read through them? Do you want me? I, I uh, don't know. It's 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 quoted here. So or like bulleted here. Yeah. So hopefully people will be able to follow. I feel like this could be explained with like a diagram or something. OK, yeah. so. Russia, starting with Russia, bound by their treaty with Serbia, decided to come to Serbia's aid. Germany, with the recent treaty with Austria-Hungary, then declares war on Russia. France, bound by an existing treaty with Russia, is now at war with Germany by association. Germany then invades neutral Belgium to have easy access to France. Then we've got Britain, who's allied with France, has an, and they have an existing treaty, and they declare war against Germany. Because of this, uh, the, oh, there's an extra note here. Germany actually thought that Britain wouldn't do this. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because they yeah, were like, exactly. oh, it's kind of loosely worded. Seriously. Yeah, it was loosely worded. And is Britain really going to come to France's <laughs> aid? You know, like, it's not like, uh, so they, they didn't They don't actually, have a great history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They didn't really expect uh, Britain to do it. But what happened was Britain also had a 75-year-old treaty with Belgium. And so they oh. felt obligated then, like with both treaties, like, yeah, we should jump in and go to war with Germany. Because Germany invaded Belgium to get to France. And then England were like, yeah. oh, guys, we've got two kind of weak ones, but you violated two treaties. We've got to do something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. And this then escalates because Britain is now warring with Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. Germany, Canada, India, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa all enter the war, I'm assuming because of colonies and such things. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then Japan gets involved. (laughs) It's really expanding quickly. Japan then honored an existing treaty with Britain and declared war on Germany. Okay, and then Austria-Hungary declares war on Japan because they declared war on Germany. And then, oh, and then it expands even further because now we've got the United States. They try to stay out of the war, but in 1917, which is three years later, yeah, they decide to enter due to Germany's submarines hindering the United States' commercial shipping. (laughs) So they're like, I mean, (laughs) to be fair, to be fair, the U.S. was supplying, you know, shipping supplies to the Allies. So it it wasn't like, uh, yeah, we're just shipping your, we're just sinking your ship for no reason like they had reason but yeah then it brought you know the us into it wow i think as we would you know say today on on internet forums that escalated quickly (laughs) i I was familiar with this because of you know studying it at school but that is perhaps the most succinctly one thing leads to another that i've ever seen exactly so that you have this very minor land dispute that turns into a war that results in the deaths of over 17 million people with another 20 million or so wounded during the conflict so oh and it should be noted this was at the same time the spanish flu around the same time the spanish flu was killing 50 to 100 million people and infecting roughly one in four humans i was reading this before we sat down to do today's podcast and i thought some like perspective on this would be really useful because that is an incomprehensibly large number of people for essentially nothing and it's even crazier because at that time you know today there are seven billion people at that time there were 1.6 billion yeah which is is just insane it's insane i had a look and it's kind of always hard to quantify especially with modern wars when the final numbers haven't come in and stuff but basically every war in the 20 21st century so far in 2018 has led to one million deaths total and a third of those are in the war in syria and when you consider especially that's so the first world war killed 1.06 percent of the global population Every war so far this century, which I think because we're living in it, we're like, this war's going on everywhere. What's this about? It's killed 0.014% of the global population. Mm -hmm. It's just, that blew my mind, just how Mm -hmm. devastating the First World War was over nothing. Yeah, and then when, yeah, then you have the Spanish flu coming along and just like wiping out everyone. And then this the Spanish flu and like all this was such so big that there was this also there was this thing called the encephalitis lethargica epidemic that killed over one million people and left many many more as just like basically catatonic state and like it wasn't even like a, a widely reported thing. It was just like whatever this yeah. you know we're all dying. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was something uh, uh, like we get all upset over swine flu and it's like how many people has it killed? Well, tech 
technically no one yet. I don't know if that's yeah. true, but it's like not I'm, I'm really sure it's a killed big, someone. It's probably killed like some old, really old person who is like yeah. really susceptible to getting it. This killed a million people. It wasn't even like a big, like a big uh, whatever. You know, there's fifty to a hundred million dying of the Spanish flu, so we should, you know, the Spanish fifty to a hundred million people. That's like four percent, three or four percent of the global population. Yeah, yeah, something. That's like yeah. one in every twenty people dying. Yeah, and one in four <laughs> humans got the Spanish flu. That's just crazy. Wow, uh, it makes so, me yeah. glad that we live now. Like mm-hmm. the fact that like, I don't. We're going to talk about this in a, in a bit, like World War One and conscription and the White Feather. You'll see how this all ties together. But I'm really glad that I don't have to go to war and I get to sit in my nice warm office and make videos and podcasts rather than mm-hmm. you know going to shoot at people who I don't really want to shoot and don't really want to shoot me because of yeah. some minor land dispute in Serbia. So like, yeah, exactly. It's good to live now. And also, much less horrible disease. Being alive today is better than being a human being alive like any time in history. For uh, people, if you've never heard of the encephalitis lethargic epidemic, you might have seen the movie Awakenings or read the book. And that was actually based on the people who um, who were left alive, but in the catatonic state. It was about, I don't know, I think it was like one in five that got this disease. Um, and then for a brief time, they they figured out the, the there was this drug, uh, Levodopa, that would temporarily like allowed them to sort of like wake up and start to move and like everything but then their bodies would eventually um develop an immunity or um, a tolerance for it and then they they went back into their kind of catatonic states and this disease is actually still around today it's just not called a, it's not caused an epidemic um since since the 1920 or whatever it was i, I um, do i do feel i have to jump in here and because mm-hmm. for reasons that will become clear later in the episode because we don't record this in order if you are going to watch a movie based on this this podcast you must first check out star trek first contact and then yeah. see awakening <laughs> Yeah, I remember seeing, yeah, I saw Awakenings when I was a kid and I actually, I thought it was all right. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember if it was like actually a great movie, but I liked it back then. (laughs) It didn't stick with you like Star Trek First Contact though. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, it turns out the uh, researchers in 2004 finally think they figured out what causes this and it's uh, it turns out just uh, like strep throat uh, but it's a, sp- a specific um, strain of streptococcus that oh, no. then uh, your immune system responds to it in a way that then uh, kills brain cells so it's why, kind of why, an, why um, do you do this to me now every yeah. time i've got a sore throat i'm gonna be like oh no that's it's that is like the first Spanish sign thing. that is the first <laughs> sign of this <laughs> and it's still a disease around today oh thanks that's going to be awesome next time. It's like, uh, um, I think I've got that vegetable disease. Back to World mm-hmm. War One. Yes, back to World War One. Back to World War One. So, yeah, as you sort of mentioned back then, even your your attitude towards, uh, you know, going and killing random people for some war uh, or for some land in Serbia was also reflected by most people back then. They they were like, why are why are we why are we doing this, guys? Like, I, I mean, my whole thing with this is I don't like the Second World War. But I get the Second World War. It's yeah, like, a- oh, look, this really horrible things are happening in this part of the world. We should go do something about that. I'd be like, I can get on board with this. World War One. Yeah. It's like, this is so pointless. <laughs> is they're so pointless. And uh, most people kind of uh, agreed. So the um, so the soldiers themselves also were very apathetic in the early days of the war, particularly when they first, you know, part of the thing is, so for one of the first times in history, you have these these soldiers in the trenches, not very, they're, they're close enough where they can talk to each other. And they're just sitting in their trenches on each side. They can holler across at each other. And they they did. Uh, and, and they're there for like a long time. So it was like this sort of unique thing where you're just like right next to your enemy for, you know, all the time. You're just camped out there. And so the, the soldiers were quite apathetic about the whole thing to the point where like, um, so do you want to read like a Royal Engineer Andrew Todd wrote about that? Yes, I do. 
Perhaps it will surprise you to learn that the soldiers in both lines of trenches have become very pally with each other. The trenches are only 60 yards apart at one place, and every morning about breakfast time, one of the soldiers sticks a board in the air. As soon as this board goes up, all firing ceases, and men from either side draw their water and rations. All through the breakfast hour, and so long as the board is up, silence reigns supreme. That's amazing. <laughs> and so we have like a lot of these quotes from that, like another one from uh, so the Temporary Truce. There's another one uh, on oh, yeah, December 19th, yeah. yeah, 1914, by Lieutenant Jeffrey Heineke. Uh, so le- lieutenants, uh, <laughs> as, as we say over here, as discussed in episode one of this podcast, uh, Jeffrey Heineke says, A most extraordinary thing happened. Some Germans came out and held up their hands and began to take in some of their wounded. And so we ourselves immediately got out of our trenches and began bringing our win- in our wounded also. The Germans then beckoned to us and a lot of us went over and talked to them and they helped us bury our dead. This lasted the whole morning and I talked to several of them and I must say they seemed extraordinarily fine men. It seems too ironical for words. There the night before we had been having a terrific battle and the morning after there we were smoking their cigarettes and they smoking ours. Wow, it's sad. It's yeah. And this I mean this yeah, yeah the, the, this this all led so that was December 19th uh, and uh so you have this like one of uh, one of my favorite articles we've done or videos uh, is the World War 1 Christmas truce of oh, 1914. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like the soldiers despite uh, their orders to the contrary, they just it was Christmas. They were like, you know what? We're not fighting anymore. And they just literally <laughs> threw down their weapons, got up out of their trenches, and just started having fun with each other and threw a Christmas party with the other side, you know, the enemy. I'd love it if the... I can kind of, you know, you get to that Christmas truce where they have that, and it, it kind of seems like there was some progression to get there, like them holding up the board yeah. at breakfast, and then there's the mm-hmm. progression of helping bury each other's dead, which is crazy mm-hmm. morbid. And then it's like, yeah. now they're having a Christmas party. I'd love to know how that first started. Like, how did that board, how did they eventually decide that when that German guy holds up a board, we're just going to have breakfast? It was one yeah. day he just like holding up the board. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just they stopped shooting. And then the British guys were like, bam, bam, bam. The French guys are like, bam, bam, bam. And it's like, they're not shooting back. Let's just stop shooting and see what happens. <laughs> well, it could have been. I mean, they're, they're so close. They might have just been like, hey, can we just <laughs> like, have, this is the thing. The board, we're just, that's the break. We're going to have breakfast. It'll be nice. So the Christmas truce. Christmas truce. Uh, so we have the um, we have a few uh, letters here. Do you want to read from sure, the yeah. describing the event? In a letter home, one British soldier wrote, Just you think that while you were eating your turkey, I was out and shaking hands with the very man I'd been trying to kill a few hours before. It was astounding. Should I just move into another one? There's, there's a couple of these. Yeah, absolutely. This just, one's yeah, great. read it through them. Uh, another soldier, Bruce Barron's father. That's a great name. Noted. I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything. I spotted a German officer, some sort of lieutenant, I should think, and being a bit of a collector, I intimated to him that I had taken a fancy to... Is that the right pronouncement? In- intimated to him? Yeah, yeah. Intimated to mm-hmm. him that I had taken mm-hmm. a fancy to some of his buttons. I brought out my wire clippers and, with a few deft snips, removed a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket. I then gave him two of mine in exchange. The last I saw was one of my machine gunners, who was a bit of an amateur hairdresser in civil life, cutting the unnaturally long hair of a docile Bosch. Bosch? 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 Yeah, I don't know. A German, who was patiently kneeling on the ground whilst the automatic clippers crept up the back of his neck. Wow. Haircuts and everything. <laughs> and then we got a final one. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just whip through this last one. Mm-hmm. On January the 1st, 1915, the South Wales Echo also published the uh, account of the evening, stating, 
When the history of The War is written, one of the episodes which chroniclers will seize upon as one of the most uh, one of its most surprising features will undoubtedly be the manner in which the foes celebrated Christmas. How they fraternized in each other's trenches, played football, rode races, held sing-songs, and scrupulously adhered to their unofficial truce. It will, uh, will certainly go down as one of the greatest surprises of a surprising war. So in this, like, you have this environment where the soldiers are pretty apathetic. I mean, they're still fighting, but, you know, whatever. They're they're just, they're not really into it, basically. They, they don't really hate their enemy. And back at home, it was kind of, there was a lot of propaganda campaigns. It was, you know, turning the, the, the public a little bit against. But it was still, like, generally like, eh, you know, why are we why are we fighting this war? This makes no sense. Did we, um, I feel maybe this was in the, the, the original version. They were shooting over each other there's heads a lot as well like when they were in the trenches they were just kind of like yeah, yeah there became really... this thing yeah like around the the new years and stuff they were just like yeah we're just gonna shoot over the trench so we're not gonna hurt anyone they're doing the same to us like there was these stretches of the of the line where that was happening and of course like as the war progressed this changed completely because there's only so many times you could have like your best friend die next to you where you're just like after a while you're like no yeah, i'm gonna kill these guys yeah. you know but in the beginning it was more just like there was a lot of apathy and the and you know back back at home in britain they were having trouble recruiting um, people. People weren't signing up uh, to go to war, and they needed soldiers. So um, this brings us back to the Order of the White Feather. Can I so, just ask? I don't know if you know this because it's not. It's not in our. It's not in our plan. But like mm-hmm. in the military, I always imagine they're really. You know, you've got your guys who are fighting, and then you've got the kind of officers, and there's quite a chain there, like cracking the whip mm-hmm. and making sure people actually do stuff right mm-hmm. they were kind yeah. of just cool with this because i imagine them kind of being like no they were not and... they were very much not and actually the next christmas to ensure that there wasn't another christmas truce they actually the the higher-ups started like launched like really big campaigns around that time to just constantly shell so that there would never be any uh, chance to sort of like stop and be like hey you want to have another christmas party uh, so, <laughs> so they they had this thing and there were still like the next christmas there were still isolated incidences uh, along the along the lines that where there was like little pockets of christmas truce but it wasn't like before where it was just like everyone threw so, down their weapons so and this, this got was together. not uh, these are not isolated incidents we should point that out this was like no th- this was like the entire spread. the entire front lines was just like <laughs> yeah let's just this is stupid let's have a christmas party uh sorry white feather we were we were coming around so there. britain was having trouble recruiting you know soldiers so vice admiral charles yeah charles penrose fitzgerald he came up with the idea of having people definitely had cooler names in the past (laughs) yeah bruce barron's father charles penrose fitzgerald (laughs) lieutenant jeffrey heineke it's cool so like when if you're in the early uh if you're in this time period what's the what's the best way to get guys to do something call him a coward and so and have Uh, women do it so they basically he he came up with the idea of having women give white feathers to any man on the streets that was not wearing a uniform and that and it should be pointed out here like up in i think it was started in the 18th century i think it was where the white feather in britain started it was a symbol of cowardice basically um and there was a couple books like in the early uh, 20th century about uh, about this very thing and called like the white feather and stuff that was just if you have a white feather you're a coward oh. so they would they, he, so he first he started it recruiting um just 30 women in the town let's see what was it town of folks i remember this it's near to oh, where, yeah. I, where, I, where i'm from oh really yeah awesome uh, yeah, so uh, he recruited them, and then the British press, probably um, 
with some encouragement, got got wind of the story, and it spread across the country where these women were called the Order of the White Feather. And their job, if you saw a man on the streets without a un- not in uniform, you give him the white feather, call him a coward, and be like, you need to go sign up, you know, to to fight. My uniform's in the wash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, this was this was hugely popular, and um, it was also inflamed. Like there was, you know, a lot of prop- propaganda going on. Like the uh, there was the rape of Belgium, which was like graphically speaking of Germans brutally torturing Belgian women. And so it was just like there was a lot of propaganda campaigns going around just like, yeah, these people are evil that we're fighting and so you need to come to war. So it was all kind of combined. Um, There's some great propaganda posters. You should read some of these because. Oh, no, I've seen these. I've seen like this was, you know, we'd have these up at the in school, like, you know, in Mm -hmm. history classrooms that always be these dig on for victory i think those were maybe yeah. more second world war but there's the, and then it's like your country needs you with uh kissinger mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. all of this stuff is it kissinger mm-hmm. who's the dude with the big mustache maybe it's not kissinger there's one who's an american politician and maybe he has the same name lord kitchener kissinger's the american mm-hmm. politician kitchener is the dude on the world war one posters important difference <laughs> one of them's still alive kissinger's still alive i think which surprised really? me because yeah That's yeah crazy. this i listened to a podcast and they were like people you're surprised are still alive kissinger is still alive <laughs> how do you if you make that list someday like like you'd be surprised simon whistler's still alive oh, no. like how do you feel about that like that would be kind of awful <laughs> you search his name still alive is a suggestion <laughs> Uh, back to these white feathers. Yes, so or the posters. propaganda we were talking posters. about posters. Yes. Propaganda yeah, posters. Read through, read through these. These are awesome. Okay. Britain is fighting not only for freedom in Europe, but to defend your mothers, wives, and sisters from the horrors of war. Uh, then there's one. Ooh, this one's directed towards women. Uh, this, did you want this, one, <laughs> this one is very over top. No, you have to read these. These are great. To the young women of London, is your best boy wearing khaki? If not, don't you think he should be? If your young man neglects his duty to king and country, the time may come when he will neglect you. Oh, oh. Yeah, and I love... I love What's this, a best uh, boy? <laughs> uh, well, I would think it would be like the boyfriend or, you yeah, know, Yeah, no, it just is a weird term. Um, <laughs> so, then, so then you have this, like... Journalist Helen Ball even says, she says, 1916, she writes, a husband lying in the rough grave in France is easier to bear than a shirker by your side. We are talking about 1916 here. It's not like there was a particularly good social support system. Yeah. It's not like women were on careers. It's like... Yeah, the the shirker who still has a job and is basically paying for my family not to be in the poorhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how much truth there is to that one. <laughs> yeah, and so then you had uh, let's see, July of 1915 edition of the Times. One Ethel M. penned, she said, "Jack F. G. If you are not in khaki by the 20th, I shall cut you dead." Is that ri- <laughs> yeah? That sounds like propaganda, though. Uh, yeah, like, it's probably yeah. It, up. It's just so you have all these all these things, right? Yeah, this brings us to the um, so the some of the actual personal accounts of what it was like so you're going around and you don't have a uniform and you're going out and so like the have William Brooks uh, noted, of it, noted of his experience with the Order of the White Feather in an interview he gave in 1993 and why he joined to fight in World War One. Once war broke out, the situation at home became awful because people did not like to see men or lads of army age walking around in, about in civilian clothing or not in uniform of some sort, especially in a military town like Woolwich. Women were the worst. They would come up to you in the street and give you a white feather or stick it in the lapel of your coat. A white feather is the sign of cowardice, so they meant that you were a coward and that you should be in the army doing your bit for king and country. Do you think you could get away with like uh, a FedEx uniform or something? You know? You know? 
<laughs> they say like a, a uniform of some sort and it's like well you know i went down to the costume store i bought this like admiral's uniform like nelson whatever just dressed up as nelson yeah i would think at some point you would try to like get a uniform just to wear about regardless awesome. you know yeah <laughs> just <laughs> There'd be a whole industry of like black market uniform suppliers, people them smuggling them back from the front, you know, and you'd pay, you'd have to pay extra if like, you know, that one's a bit torn, that one's got a solid blood stain, so we need to, you know, raise the price on those ones, we don't want it too pristine. <laughs> wow, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. Nice uh, yeah, so, social pressure. <laughs> so he goes on. It got so that's- bad it wasn't safe to go out. Wow, we really done. <laughs> So in 1915, at the age of 17, 17, he's not even old enough, I volunteered under the Lord Derby scheme. Now, that was a thing where once you applied to join, you were not called up at once, but were given a blue armband with a red crown to wear. This told people that you were waiting to be called up, and that kept you safe, or fairly safe, because if you were seen to be wearing it for too long, the abuse in the street would soon start again. Yeah, wow. and these get these get like really horrible. So like, um, but there's people who are like sick or like conscientious yeah. objectors or yeah, we'll religious. we'll bring we'll bring all that up uh, later. And it, yeah, that uh, became a bit of a problem. But it was uh, it was in the in the end, it was one the government was kind of like, uh yeah, but this is really working out for us, so we don't really want to do anything about it because uh, we're really you know the recruitment's through the roof. Um, so wow. the next step, so. This gets this gets way worse. So James Lovegrove, who was 16 when he joined the war effort, wrote. <laughs> it's even younger. It was 18 to join the military back then. I'm, I'm not misremembering that, right? I I, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my way back to uh, this is James Lovegrove. On my way back, on my way to work one morning, a group of women surrounded me. They started shouting and yelling at me, calling me all sorts of names for not being a soldier. Do you know what they did? They stuck a wh- they struck a white feather in my coat, meaning I was a coward. Oh, did it feel dreadful. So ashamed. I went to the recruiting office. The sergeant there couldn't stop laughing at me, saying things like, Looking for your father, Sonny, and come back next year when the war's over. Well, I must have looked so crestfallen that he said, Let's check your measurements again. You see, I was about five foot six inches and only about eight and a half stone. Uh, that is, he was, he was not a big kid. Uh, this time he made me out to be six feet tall and 12 stone at least that's what he wrote down all lies of course but i was in um how mm-hmm. much is a stone i just gotta check that quickly because yeah, i want to some... we should we should definitely do yeah. kilograms as well let me just do a stone in kilograms so that is 76 kilograms so okay so they they upped his weight substantially and his height mm-hmm. substantially it's weird i i do my measure my like height in feet and inches but i do my weight in kilograms it's this weird british thing of mixing them wow so they just they just straight up lied mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. should i have that other yeah. example there or you yeah so so there's it, it wasn't just the white feather like it started to become common to also receive a letter with the feather like re- you'd receive like a letter and the feather in the mail and so this was like a architect william weller uh, his story yeah. where he he had actually been he was in his 40s and he was also helping um the war effort in other ways uh, he was working with uh, building homes for steel workers and he was also ill at one point so he was <laughs> basically he wasn't required to go to war like yeah. uh, even uh, so so he writes he got nevertheless he got his letter so his le- his letter reads uh, that was addressed to him sir your gallant and protracted defense against the brutal attacks of the local tribunal has been brought to the notice of the supreme council of the most noble order of the trench dodgers i am to inform you that the council have therefore as a reward for your devotion to self regardless of narrow patriotism made you a companion of that of the said most noble order the insignia of which is forwarded herewith i am sir your obedient servant a chicken heart 
clerk of the council. That was really tricky to read. Wait till you get the the, um, the Robert Thomas or whatever the, the, at the end. That one, his quote, like, <laughs> focus. <laughs> that one's hard. <laughs> there will be many stumbles. Yeah. Wait, a chicken heart. So this is obviously a very sarcastic letter. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they're just... Yeah, so this brings us to... Um, so so uh, this, is, two- this is a man who was excused... Well, one, he's in his forties. Yeah. Two, he's an architect, so they can probably use him doing actual yeah. stuff rather than just shooting people. And exactly. He's also sick. Yeah, okay. and they, they still get the letter, and it, it became like a real problem where just like everyone was getting the letter. And some of these quotes we're going to get into in a minute. I think actually the next no, uh, coming up you're going to be. It's just like amazing. Like there's one I'll just preview. Uh, a ten year old. Yeah. He's ten. Ten. And he's he's still getting shamed <laughs> into like why aren't you going to war? Uh, but so my voice hasn't even broken yet. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah, exactly. So um, the Guardian in 2008 they published. Um, uh, Francis Beckett told the story of his grandfather who was shamed into fighting the war and ultimately perished because of it. So um, his grandfather. So mm-hmm. he had three small daughters. Which oh, okay. I was like, he wasn't his grandfather at the time. I was thinking this dude must no. be like 70 and he's going to war. <laughs> no, this was in t- this yeah, was yeah, in yeah, 2008. Yeah. This story is published. Put it together now. Uh, he had three small daughters, which saved him from conscription, and his attempt to volunteer was turned down in 1914 because he was short-sighted. Uh, but in ooh, so that could save me. They're just really basic <laughs> these days, when they? They're like, get to war, son. But in 1916, as he walked home to South London from his office, a woman gave him a white feather. He enlisted the next day. By that time, he they cared nothing for short sight. They just wanted a body to stop a shell, which rifleman James Cutmore duly did in February 1918, dying of his wounds on March the 28th. My mother was nine and never got over it. She blamed the politicians. She blamed the generation that sent him to war. She was with Kipling. If any question or why we died, I tell them, because our fathers lied. But most of all, she blamed that unknown woman who gave him a white feather and the thousands of brittle, self-righteous women all over the country who had done the same. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, so you have this like thing where it's just like, if you're not wearing a uniform and you go out and you're a guy, you're going to get a white feather. Um, so, and this actually, this worked great because not only soldiers coming home who would, you know, who for whatever reason been honorably discharged or whatever, they would go re-enlist. Uh, for the same, like, um, so this this crazy one, Frederick Broom, he was 15 years old when he managed to convince the recruiters to let him join the war. Uh, oh, so, he, so was, he was into it. Yeah. He, he went to first, 15 the, voluntarily. Yeah, first time. And he told him he was 19 and obviously they, they took him anyway. And uh, so after he got... He <laughs> it got, wasn't a matter of, can I see your ID? It's just like, sure yeah. you are, son. <laughs> Welcome yeah, to the he, army. He contract. he got sick, uh, seriously ill, and he got honorably discharged. And so he was at home. He's 16 now on his 16th birthday. He's walking along and, and three girls accost him. And they gave him a handful of white feathers. And then a crowd gathered around him and started calling him a coward. And so then he's, he stated of this. I explained to them that I had been in the army and been discharged, and I was still only 16. Several people had collected around the girls, and there was, uh, and there was giggling, and I felt most uncomfortable and very humiliated. So this guy, he volunteers at 15, he goes to war, he gets injured, he gets honorably discharged, and he comes home. He's still 16, he's still not old enough to drive, uh, at least here. Maybe you could drive this. Uh, it doesn't matter, he's young. And... <laughs> Now they're humiliating him, and he re-enlists? Absolutely, and went back to war. Uh, (laughs) Oh, please tell me he survives. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think we oh, actually no. tracked down his his. Uh, but yeah, so then we have like the um, the we come to the ten year old boy. There's this picture, and it's uh, I think I saw it was from some museum archive or something. Where on the back it says, "What a promising boy!" Now wear this brooch and buttons, you and your frilly white dressed, whilst your brother goes to war, riding gallantly. The town all sees your ways, chicken you are. And his brother was his brother was only sixteen and went off to war, uh, and he's ten and being called a coward. Was he a giant ten year old? Ten year olds are. <laughs> They're children. Yeah. They are they are young children. They're not even in secondary school. Yeah, and so then the, the, another one was the, this is probably <laughs> the most egregious one of all, is like Seaman George Sampson. Um, he was presented a feather when he was on the way to no. a party in his no. honor for earning the Victoria Cross, which That's is like Britain's the medal highest of honor. medal for gallantry. Yeah, exactly. He had rescued 30 sailors and got took a dozen bullets to his chest in the process and survived. <laughs> and like he was on the way to the party when he got the, a cost in like feathers in his face yeah so yeah this this was a problem like a, a pretty big problem so to solve the problem rather than like you know actually stop the um the feather you know the order from doing what they were doing yeah. they instead the home secretary of great britain reginald mckenna he created these uh, well he authorized to create these badges right in 1916 one was for instance they had like the king and country badge that indicated the man was um aiding the war effort in some way so then yeah you know he'd be left alone and then you had the silver war badge that indicated the person had served and been honorably discharged so that was kind of the solution to the problem but you still had like all these you know like you say you have like factory workers and a lot of people who were aiding the war effort who still weren't like you know maybe not earning the king and country badge or whatever but they still you know or maybe they were sick or couldn't go to war they were still being accosted yeah i bet that george sampson guy i wish he'd got his i bet i wish he'd got his victoria cross in the mail so he could you know, <laughs> yeah. wear it before he goes outside there were some other records uh like there um some soldiers there was this one soldier i can't remember his name now but he he got it presented with feathers and a crowd was gathering around and he took out his army paybook and slapped the person in the face with it I love this though. The M, uh, future MP Fenner Brockway, uh, he 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 went the other way and didn't mind the feathers, and he he noted he happily received enough fe- enough white feathers to make a fan. Oh. So he was a he was a pass he was a pacifist, obviously. Yeah. Um, um, but his it was just crazy because if you read like these stories of like uh, so he got arrested for. Um, and for refusing to pay a fine for distributing letters opposing the conscription. And then he again got arrested uh, when he refused to be conscripted. And so, yeah, yeah so the second time around, he, he gets taken to the, uh, he gets arrested again. So um, oh, do you want to read his quote? Yeah, it's yeah, great. I got a quote from him. He stayed, I was taken to the Tower of London. Well, this is back in the day. It sounds so like medieval <laughs> in a way. Uh, I know, I was, I was like, really? People were still being taken to the Tower of London at this point? We put him in the stockades. <laughs> I was taken to the Tower of London and locked in a large dungeon? (laughs) Seriously? Uh, Where there were 20 or so prisoners. Uh, Six were objectors. I was to be taken to Chester Castle and my wife travelled with me. This is a hundred years ago. We're talking about the Tower of London dungeons and castles? (laughs) What's going on? It's so crazy that it was like that this was even like allowed as you read the rest of his quote. It's just it's just insane. The Cheshire Regiment did not have a good reputation for its treatment of objectors. The previous week, the newspaper had carried reports of how George Beardsworth and Charles Dukes, both subsequently prominent trade union leaders, had been forcibly taken to drilling grounds and kicked, punched, knocked down, and thrown over railings until they lay exhausted, bruised, and bleeding. I was a little apprehensive. <laughs> two amazing things there. That last yeah. thing, I was a little yeah. apprehensive. Ultra British. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I second, was going to say that's like amazingly British. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, so like I was mildly, I was mildly put out. <laughs> yes. 
I was I was slightly concerned about the treatment of prisoners because it seems they're uh, they're torturing them. <laughs> also, the name Beardsworth. Mm-hmm. Not a great name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, wow. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. They, I mean, this was a problem for the pacifists. Obviously, they weren't well, um, well received at this time. No. Uh, so, you had there's a, another great quote from uh, Oxford University's Joseph K. And he was quoted in the Courage of Cowards: The Untold Story of the First World War Conscientious, conscientious Objectors. Did you? <laughs> there's so many quotes in this one. I'm really, you know, I know doing yeah. my work, doing my work this morning. Yeah. Uh, how is it possible for a greengrocer, say, or a labourer in some small town in Germany to have any kinds of grievance with a shopkeeper or a gardener in St Albans, for example? They are just ordinary men working to provide a living for their families. They both want fundamentally the same thing, whichever country they live in, and yet they are being forced to blow one another to pieces with guns and bombs. It's immoral, plain and simple. And what's more, the working man on either side will gain nothing from this war, whatever the outcome. Every country involved will be bankrupt by the end of it, and who will suffer? Not the men in power, that's for sure. If you look at how much Britain has spent on the war already, it's enough to provide every family in this country with a decent house and piece of land. Why can the government find money to fund a war, but not provide a reasonable standard of living for its citizens? It's amazing. And, and you, so you see this like attitude, but then like as the war progresses, it starts to shift. So you have like um, where people, it's like, it, like uh, the probably the most famous case was this guy named Edward Thomas, who you may not have ever heard of, but the, he was actually the inspiration for the um, the poem "The Road Not Taken," which incidentally yeah, is Frost. almost yeah, exactly, almost universally misinterpreted poem "The Road Not Taken," which is it's amazing that because so most people they just re- they just know the last part of the poem, but if you actually read the whole thing, like it's very clear that the last part, if you just read the last part, you're going to get a very wrong interpretation of what's actually being said there, because like well, it's. It's about taking the more interesting path, right? Like doing something different. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. Like if you just read the last part, you think, oh yeah, that's it made all the difference, right? To take the road less traveled. But if you actually read the whole thing, like no, the the guy didn't take the road less traveled. He just he was just like he was. It, it, it explicitly states he did not take the road less traveled, and that he just was sitting there. And so coming oh, back wait, to Edward <laughs> Thomas, really? Yeah. So that's coming back to Edward Thomas uh-huh. was a great friend. He was Robert Frost's best friend, right? So they used to go for these walks, right? And he just he. He was teasing Edward Thomas with this poem because Edward Thomas, he was the guy who he said, Robert Frost said of him, he was a person who whichever road he went would be sorry he didn't go the other. Ah. Um, and so you can see the point of this poem was just to tease him about like, yeah. And so at the end, the actual like that sigh at the end of the poem where he says, I and I sat with, I don't remember, he, the protagonist sighs. And so when he's doing that, it's actually a sigh of regret that he couldn't go back and don't go take, see what, where the other road would have led him. And so that's kind of the actual, huh. you know, point of the poem. But so it was it was just like he was teasing Thomas about this, right? It's fun Thomas, the stuff we add to like, you know, the modern or when we interpret things and we could just get it completely wrong, right? Just Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I think the reason it's so misinterpreted today is because people are so familiar with the end that when they do go and read the whole thing, even though it's very clear what's actually being said, it's not it's not subtle. Like I I don't think anyway. Uh it's not very subtle, but but you already have that sort of idea of what it's about, so you kind of colors your what you're reading instead of just coming at it you know blank do we have the do we have the poem here uh yeah i have reminded of the ends yeah so it says i shall be telling with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence two roads diverged in a wood and i i took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference and so but if if you actually read the 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 
earlier parts of the poem, he he actually it's him saying like someday I'm gonna say I took the one less that was less traveled, but I'm actually just fooling myself. Like uh, he he's because he's looking at he's basically looking at these two paths and they're the same, and he doesn't know which one he should take. And so this this was the playful jab because Thomas and, um, and Robert Frost used to go for these walks all the time, and that would happen all the time where they would go one path and then it would turn out to be boring, and Thomas would be like, oh, we should have taken the other one, you know. So this this was basically was just his little his little private and Robert Frost actually called it his private jest because the misinterpretation of it happened pretty quickly like when he first he read it um, at a university somewhere and the students all misinterpreted it even though he said I was making it very clear that it was all in jest like I was just joking back to World War One. You have this changing idea. So like Edward Thomas was was uh, anti-nationalist. He didn't he thought the war was stupid, like many people. And but at a certain point in the war, it sounds everyone he, thought the war was stupid. They were just yeah. being shamed into going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like uh, even even probably probably the higher ups in government was like, oh, we do have these treaties. We should probably honor them, you know, and then but like there was this changing attitude over time because at a, and I think uh, Edward Thomas says it well in let's see go so he was 37 years old at the time he had no reason to go to the war he was was anti-nationalist he didn't have to enlist but in the summer of 1915 he was he kind of he writes in his, I think it was his journal, he wrote uh, sort of his changing thoughts on the war and that, uh, if you want to read that quote, this is the hard one. Okay, (laughs) here we go A sky of dark, rough, horizontal masses in NW with a third moon, bright and almost orange low down, clear of cloud and I thought of men eastward seeing it at the same moment It seems foolish to have loved England up to now without knowing it could perhaps be ravaged and I could and perhaps would do nothing to prevent it Something, I felt, had to be done before I could look again composedly at English landscape Boom! Yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, he kind of like he kind of like has like half sentences somewhere in there. It's kind of hard to. Yeah, I was but... I was reading like a, a whole line ahead because I was like, yeah. I'm gonna definitely. But that was without edit. I did not edit that later. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of reading ahead there. So you had like in the beginning, he was he didn't care about the politics. He thought uh-huh. the war was dumb. He wasn't particularly you know like nationalist or whatever. But he started to think like it didn't actually matter what the war was being fought over because in the end, like if he didn't fight and the enemy yeah. came to Britain they were still going to shoot and like you know destroy things and so it like it didn't matter in the end he should maybe think about going to war and there was a lot that came up to his decision he he did end up going to war which uh, incidentally uh, shortly after he received the poem from Robert Frost uh, he finally made his decision so maybe he took the jest a little personally so he made the decision he was trying to decide should I go to America which was and join Robert Frost and you know he was he was at the time writing poetry and stuff like really good poetry himself or should I or should I join the war effort and so he ended up deciding that, yeah, he wrote back to Frost, last week I had screwed myself up to the point of believing I should come to America, but I have altered my mind and I'm going to enlist on Wednesday if the doctor will pass me. Um, hmm. So yeah, he, he changed his mind in the end and uh, that didn't work out for him. <laughs> oh no, did he, he, did yeah. he die? He absolutely died, <sighs> took a bullet to the chest on April 9th, 1917 in the Battle of Arras. I think that in France. So yeah, not a, not a good ending to his story. But there was actually a lot more that went into his this decision of his. Um, there's this great if you you should go uh, everyone listening and go to today. I found out and read the full write up on this. The road not taken. It it is a great piece on the history of it and um, just yeah, like he had this. There was these walks where he he just felt like he was you know a coward and Robert Frost wasn't. Um, there's a lot to it. It's a great write up. It's like three thousand words. So I'm not gonna try to um, add that to all to here. But yeah, go read it. It's it's a really 
really interesting story. Okay. Just, uh, I know we're kind of moving towards the end of uh, of this section and just kind of reading through it again. I wonder while we're doing all of this, did we do any looking into conscription? Because conscription was a thing at some point in the First World War, wasn't it? Like yeah, it came not, along a bit later. Yeah, it did come along a bit later and that's where you had a lot of the pacifists getting arrested and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, in the beginning it wasn't and then eventually it became required because, I mean, at the end of the day, they did need people to defend the country because whether, regardless, like, you know, uh, what it Thomas what said. kicked it off, yeah. Yeah, regardless still, of what kicked it off, it's still the country was in danger at a certain point, like they needed soldiers. Um, wow. So yeah, then and attitudes changed, like I said, like you had these people, I mean, your friends dying right next to you after a while, regardless of how you felt about the supposed enemy in the first place, like you're going to, after a while, you're going to be like, no, these guys, I hate them. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah. That, there was definitely that shifting attitude, but yeah. Especially when you are being blasted with propaganda all the time, you are going mm-hmm. to, that's really going to help you on your way. Yeah. It's easy to get, you know, we talked about the uh, those those clackers in the last episode. Five people in a room can change a hundred people's opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got enough people saying like, let's hate the Germans together and let's go take them down in a trench or whatever, you're going to get people on board pretty quick. Well, and you can imagine even like the order of the white feathers. So maybe a lot of the women were like, well, but I don't want my sons and husbands going off and, you know, right. everything to war. But at the same time, you do have these ones who are all hardcore about it. It might be like, all right, well, now I, I kind of have to join, join yeah. in and being like presenting the white feathers. So, yeah. Can you imagine the parents of that 10-year-old? Yeah. And there's 16-year-olds already off at war. Like, that's awful. Yeah. It's like, oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, on that depressing note, is there there anything else to add? (laughs) On that happy ending? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, go read The Road Not Taken uh, right up on Today I Found Out. It's really, it's one of my um, favorite pieces on the site. So it's a good one. Business section. This one's got a name. What do we we I I kind of threw a few topics in here based on what we were talking about in last week's episode. Like a few things stuck out at me as as things we should talk about. One thing we brought up was niche and like uh, niche and non niche because I feel this podcast and today I found out and and most of what I do on YouTube in general is like ultimate non niche. Today I found out is it's mm-hmm. basically just anything interesting is is. Do you kind of agree mm-hmm. with that or do you yeah. think it does fall into Yeah, absolutely. And like every topic is is open. You know, like we do celebrity stuff. We do like deep history stuff. We do stuff on the uh, dolphin that just jumps around in the waves. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> the dolphin that's really into boats. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And not and guiding boats or being useful in any way. No, so, just yeah. having fun jumping in the waves like dolphins like to do. A regular old dolphin. If this isn't in the right order, you're, you're, you know, you're going to learn about that listener in the Q&A section later. And also... Man. About another type of dolphin. That, uh, and can, yeah, I, stay tuned. can I just say, this is where we get, a lot of people will comment like, uh, oh, I see you're running out of ideas. And it's like, no, it's just that like, because we're so broad, like it's impossible to put out something that everyone's going to be interested in every day. Yeah, you know, this one might not interest you, but tomorrow, you know, it might. I sometimes challenge myself and I just did it right now. I will look at any object and I will try to come up with an idea. I look at my keyboard because it's in front of me right now. And I'm like, why are the keys in that random order? Absolutely. That's video. a really interesting Damn. one. Yeah, we and we have actually we covered that like way a long time ago. Do you do you remember it now? It's the, the <laughs> No, I totally word. don't. Maybe it's like my subconscious <laughs> no, it's, telling me that this is a good idea because we've already yeah. done it. <laughs> no, it's it's actually a very interesting one and it's uh it was one of the like the first we did like years ago. So yeah, I'm not surprised you don't remember. <laughs> it might have actually been one of the ones that we did for the podcast and then moved over. So that would have been even like even longer ago. Yes, our original podcast. Okay, yeah. I, when we were looking at iTunes in the break, I saw it was 2015, so three years ago. 
just under three years ago because in the mm-hmm. summer of 2015. Something like I always wondered was a lot of people online, a lot of like YouTube podcasts, people talking about, um, and I guess online business as well, there's always this, you know, find your niche, find what you want to talk about and then make a business around that. I, I, I won't mm-hmm. name names or, or, or list specific, specific podcasts, but this is like a huge school of thought in the thing. And I was in this mindset for a long time about what should I do? And before I, I, I did this, before I did YouTube, I did a podcast that was in a niche. It was in uh, like for, for authors and, and self-publishing and people who were writing books on Amazon because I was kind of narrating audiobooks. And I thought, this is a good idea. I'd love to start a podcast. What will my niche be? And I was like, this is this will be it. And because that's what everyone says that you have to do. But then I kind of found more success doing something that is completely non-niche and seems to fly in the face of all of that advice and i mean it's kind of like interesting fact is sort of but it's yeah it is very broad uh interesting fact to like is not a niche <laughs> it's, it's it's a genre at least yeah <laughs> like, uh, but that's uh, like but, action movies <laughs> yeah but yeah you're rocking self-publishing was way more way more focused yeah and so uh, that was the name of the the podcast I did previously. A- anyone's interested? I did like 160 interviews with uh, with, so, with authors. So when you started this, were you thinking like, all right, so I'll get these authors on, and then they'll they're self published, so they'll need someone to read their books, like audiobooks. Is this like a connection? Was that like part of your thought process? Yeah, yeah, totally. And just uh, you know, interviews are an amazing way to network and meet people, and mm-hmm. you know, because you can't like we later in the show we talk about uh, in the Q and A section we talk about who would like would our be our dream interview. And it's like, there's no way you can write to a Nobel Prize winner and say, hey, can I get on the phone with you for an hour? But if you've got a podcast that's being, you know, even if it doesn't really have a huge listener base, you can be like, hey, want to get on the phone for an hour for my podcast? And well, and are, they don't know you don't, like, they don't know you don't have a big, you know, listener base necessarily. Absolutely. absolutely. It's a great, it's a great excuse to have a conversation with people who are interesting. I, I was also definitely hoping that it would be something that I could monetize myself, like with advertising. And I think I had a brief stint with that, but you know, it just didn't really drive the numbers to, to mm-hmm. really work on advertising. And I don't know, mm-hmm. kind of related to that and like the niche versus, versus non-niche is if you have something that's non-niche, you can really... Advertising seems much more possible because you can simply drive huge viewer numbers. Like, mm-hmm. today I found out on YouTube is super broad, but because it's super broad, it gets, you know, super high number of views. And then you don't have to worry about this, like, oh, I do I have to make something so my audience can buy it? Or do I set up, like, a, a Patreon and this kind of stuff? And I, I don't know, maybe it's also a British thing, but we, we don't really like asking for money, or maybe I don't like asking <laughs> for money. I hate selling anything. I'm so glad we have Drew who does our, like, who goes out and finds the ad deals because I hate asking people for money. It's like, it's mm-hmm. tricky. Yeah. Well, there is something to be said, though, about the niche where you have, like, you don't need those huge numbers necessarily, depending. Like, if you have, I mean, it depends on the niche, of course. If your niche is cardboard boxes, you're not going to, you're not going to go far with the advertising there. But, but, you know, like we've talked about, I think I mentioned on the last one, the picture of the recipe with cooking or like Linus Tech Tips where tech, you, you can be small and still, like, people are like those companies there's a lot of companies and they they'll throw product and money at you to get to mention yes and then it's there's that there's a smaller field of potential advertisers so there's less competition mm-hmm. linus is going to mm-hmm. come up a bunch but i love that you know yeah, until he collaborates he's... with us until he agrees <laughs> to collaborate with, he lives he lives not that far from me i'm just going to throw that out there linus isn't he canadian oh you're right in the north of course yeah yeah yeah, yeah i used to live not probably 15 minutes from where he is seriously maybe 20 oh wow 20 you, minute drive you perhaps. were right on the border 
Yeah, exactly. Are there border stations with Canada? There were. And back when I was there, I was in college there uh, in Bellingham was um, you didn't actually even need at that point, like a passport or anything. You could just go across with your license. And and one time, one of my buddies, uh, uh, we went across and he forgot his license in Canada. They didn't even ask. Like when we went into the country, they asked for nothing. They were just like, what are you guys doing? And we were like, yeah, I don't I don't remember what we were doing. So we, we go up there and then we come back and the U.S. is like, where's you don't have any ID? And he's like, no. And they were like, really? And then they let us through. They were like, all right. You know, good. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, this if, was a different if you're time. Illegally immigrating to North America, definitely go through the Canadian side, not the Mexican side. Important yeah. lesson, you know. Yeah, it's different now, of course. Uh, this was this was uh, in oh, the in yeah. The, okay. This was before. You know. Did you see that movie uh, Into the Wilds? Yes. Where he where he kayaks like through a dam mm-hmm. or something down to mm-hmm. South America or whatever. And yeah. he, he just doesn't have papers. He's just like, he doesn't have a passport. Yeah. He doesn't have a driver's license. He's like this off the grid yeah. dude. And he's like getting yeah. stopped at the American border. And they're like, you have nothing. And he's like, nope, nothing. Just and they're <laughs> like, you should think about this, son. <laughs> but Linus does it great because he has, it's sort of niche. I mean, it is niche because it's, you know, technology and usually the techie side of technology. But that's still huge. And he is way bigger than us. So mm-hmm. he, I think it's, I a, think it's a, already gone. Yeah, that's the ult, that's like the ultimate niche where if you can find that where you will one you enjoy doing it and it's very targeted and it has a huge audience potential. That's that's that is the ultimate. Yeah, sort of niche but non-niche, best of both both worlds. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to choose both. But I don't know, my my kind of thoughts about this in the end, like if I was trying to draw a conclusion or something, is I definitely like what I do now more, just because I think about the the like the potential for it is always bigger. Mm-hmm. Having a bigger audience allows you to do bigger things. Something we've been talking about a lot for 2018 and and I think we were talking about this a lot on the AMA we just did on Reddit is the potential for like mini documentaries. And it's like because it's so broad, it can be about anything. Like the first one we've got coming up is about Liechtenstein. And so I went to Liechtenstein and we filmed this thing and it's like, this is kind of random, but it's totally relevant. And mm-hmm. or other ones we've got coming up, like we're going to VidCon and there's a couple we could do in Amsterdam. And it's just so broad, you can always find something interesting to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, I imagine after so many interviews and stuff, you were probably when you're when you're very targeted, like very small niche like that. I bet you after a while, did you start to get like bored? Like it was the same thing over and over yeah, again? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, I, I took a lot of joy in the interviews. Like I really love talking to people about kind of because I, I made a lot of it not just about their writing but about their lives like how did you come to mm-hmm. be doing this do you do this full time is this your job what's that like what's you know how does this fit with your family life and all and all this kind of stuff because then you can really it's kind of like an excuse to have an interesting conversation and people who've kind of stepped outside mm-hmm. of the molds a little bit and are doing something a little bit different they've usually got interesting stories and I took a great pleasure in in the interviews themselves almost more because the information I wasn't a writer the information is not particularly useful to me so I, I took a lot of mm-hmm. pleasure from that even even after like 160 interviews that was still still a lot of fun to do it's one of the reasons i'm keen to kind of crack on and get some interviews for for this show yeah yeah see where we go with that nobel prize winners who, who we, you'll learn more about this in the q a for today's episode it's, who, who turn us down yeah like, you definitely really, turn us down. we're we're talking of you barry marshall no but barry, <laughs> he was very very nice response like it, it was good uh, i was surprised <laughs> we, i was su- we're talking to you barry marshall you're very nice actually very nice <laughs> i was i was i was actually quite surprised that we got a response at all at the end of the day, I do think you do have to be interested in what you're doing. And if that happens to be a, a niche or if it's something broad, you will have more competition in the broad because, of course, the broad, you know, a higher revenue potential and everything. So you're going to have a lot more 
you know, competition. And so it's harder to separate yourself to some extent. Uh, so that's something to consider. So there's pros and cons of both sides. But yeah, at the end of the day, be interested in what you're doing, I think is the main thing. I got a good question. If you were, I don't know, maybe some people are listening, maybe they want to be like to do YouTube or something. If you were, if you were going to start a channel today, or you could go back, not a few years, because then you'd be like, well, I would start an unboxing channel, or I'd start something that's enormously successful, because I, you know, can see the future. But if you were going to start a, a channel today, what would you do? Like if you, if you had nothing on your plate, if you had no route to promote what path would you go down what do you think i would do the i would definitely do the tech because yes. that's i mean obviously i have the computer science background and that in and the project channels as well i love doing projects like that was one of the reasons the can shaking was so fun is because i got i rarely get time for that hobby and so to like make it part of my work was awesome and i want to uh, i want to do that more yeah mm-hmm. so what what uh, what what would you go back uh, for i don't know uh like I really don't know because I think one of the most important things to think about because you've got to think about, you know, traction and stuff is you've got to be able to make mm-hmm. just because of the way YouTube works, you've got to be able to make really regular videos. And I would say more than once a week. So mm-hmm. the initial thing I just jumped to is, is mini documentaries because I'm just, I don't know, I'm living in this world now. I was mm-hmm. editing one like the last few days, the, the Liechtenstein one that we just made and, and all of this stuff. And I'm like, this is really, really cool. But the absolute max that I think it would be possible to do would be one or two of those a week. And I just don't know if that's mm-hmm. enough. So you've got to think about like what the other stuff is. I always look at the, we just mentioned unboxing. And even today, I think that that's kind of like, I love unboxing things. And I think everyone loves unboxing things. And that's why th- that sort of thing is so exciting. But mm-hmm. I can just imagine just a bunch of cameras. You just sit down for an hour and you just get to talk about something cool that someone sent you and play around with it or go places. Mm-hmm. And what's your job? I literally go places and try things out that are fun. So other people can vicarious try these things and i'm like that is not just a cool job that is a cool life and a very easy 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 videos you can just whip it you get this package in the mail you go you say something interesting while you're showing them off ah, like, yeah but there's the rub there's the rub i think there are plenty of unboxing channels but the ones that are successful are the people who really have this personality that can drive this yeah As, definitely you have to have the you have to have I, the, the yeah you're gonna the, the gab we would call the gift of the gab in the uk mm-hmm. where you can talk about anything at any time and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I'd set up this whole studio. I'd be like, all right, here we go. I got my big lights <laughs> and my 4K cameras. And I've got the guy in the back who you always kind of like uh, unbox therapy always do where he sort of half talks to the guy, but the guy never responds. And it always looks super cool and very casual and all of this. So do you, you think got- there is there actually someone back there or is he just <laughs> talking to, like, to have like a conversation as if he's having a conversation with the audience? You know, it looks like he's doing this in a small room, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing this in a huge warehouse. Have you seen this like behind the scenes? No, I have not. I have it's, unless I miss remember for another channel. Is it just this like there's this one guy sitting in this giant warehouse with his table? <laughs> well, you gotta think he's image. gotta have a giant warehouse because there's there's so much money. It's so true. It's like, what should I buy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. giant warehouse. But it's like, it's, you know, it's like Linus. They have so much stuff. You know, their channel yeah, is built yeah, on they need it. things. I mean, well, and it's, we, it's handy to keep a lot of those things around too, because later you might come up with a video to use them again. Like he does that all the time where he'll use like old hardware and stuff. So it's, you know, it's good to keep it. Did you see his Bitcoin one? Yes. Oh, where he's like, look at all these 1080 TIs that I just, all like thousand dollar graphics cards that I just have yeah. lying around. And I'm going to hook them all up into this like $20,000 PC case or whatever. It's like, dude, they were, they were just sitting in boxes on shelves just yeah. hanging out yeah. waiting to go old uh, so anyway that's the point there's this guy and he's sitting in this warehouse and he's doing this thing and I imagine you'd get set up with all of this stuff and then you'd get something to unbox and I'd just be like so this is a cup 
that turns a different colour when you put hot liquids in it. <laughs> Cuts! <laughs> Cut! Video done! No one would ever watch this. I don't know. I think yeah. it's one of those things that you'd have to... Um... Yeah, well, because at the end of the day, a lot of people on YouTube, they are watching for the personality as much sometimes as the content. Yes. You know, like you might... Like that happens all the time where there'll be like channels I watch just for the for the people. I don't really even necessarily care about, you know, what, what they're talking about. It's just kind of fun. They have interesting things to say because it's the personality. And you see a lot of the channels that don't succeed is they don't put that in, you know, like they might have like... Um, they might just have like the visuals or whatever. And, and sometimes that can work. You know, like, but most of the time, the channels that do that don't really take off because you need like the people to become fans of you as well as, you know, what you're talking about. Um, I think that helps a ton. This was, this is actually something that came up in our, our AMA. I don't know if you saw the question, but someone was pointing out that we don't have a ton of personality driven content. It's not like there's not a lot mm-hmm. of my personality in, in the videos. Yeah. And I think people are asking like, why is that? And it's because it's one a day. I can't really like add my own personal <laughs> flavor to every video. Yeah. It is, it would be a, a time impossible. Um, because that's something mm-hmm. that just requires me mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. just the, the time to make that happen what i do like is you know i want to talk about it in a minute i'm bringing it up so much this episode people must be getting bored uh the mini documentaries i like that mm-hmm. that's an opportunity to kind yep. of branch out and do that a little bit more and this podcast of course mm-hmm. well maybe people will hate our personalities and they'll be like guys i preferred it <laughs> i preferred it when you just provided me with facts <laughs> i preferred it when you didn't talk about yeah. things. No, but i think that's the thing is it's like yeah some people will hate us but for one thing anyone who's made it this far in is yeah. probably yeah, not you are in. <laughs> uh, but also you're gonna have some people that are hate you but it's a big world with a huge population there's gonna be people who like you know your personality and that's gonna work out for you you know like you just have to try to reach that audience you have to reach those people um and then you know it works out so if i had a good personality i would start an unboxing channel there we go today i found out tech <laughs> yeah we that's a thing that's gonna happen at some point when Dude. we get more resources <laughs> we get <a> giant warehouse <laughs> yeah if for no other reason than like the company's sending me cool tech because i yeah. would love that and do that for free that's a that's a channel i would totally do like if i just had the time even if it wasn't making money it was just like that this is fun yeah absolutely i think i always think you know people having so much fun on youtube and i know a lot of that is turning it on for the camera this would be pretty this podcast i really don't feel i'm turning anything on now i'm just having a good time and i think if you find that thing that really vibes then it's that beautiful sweet spot between something that is successful and people want to watch and you have an enormously good time doing well yeah and that's a, that's also i think a real good tip when you do have your sort of personality come out on these like the youtube videos or mm. podcasts or whatever like the one way i think you can turn everyone off is to just not be yourself if you if you're just faking it uh, to a certain extent you kind of have to be yourself and then you'll you'll at least attach some people will be like yeah i like that person yeah this was this is because people can smell fakeness or even my accent's the good example. Simon's putting on a fake accent. It's like, really not. I am. And something, you know, I found, especially with the previous podcast, was when people meet me in real life, they're like, oh, you're like you are in your podcast. And I'm like, yeah, if I, if, if I didn't, no one would listen because it would sound super. Yeah. And there are podcasts where it sounds fake. And I'm just like, yeah, it's a bit cringy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's where, that's where everyone goes away then. Like, no one's going to like your work. I want to talk about mini documentaries and like, do you are we happy to kind of share our plans for 2018 and what we're doing? Do you see any reason to be confidential about that? I don't. No, that's that's perfectly fine. Cool. Do you know this quote about like writing down goals? I think this is something that you would be 
or today I found out would be amazing at busting. There's that thing where it's like, if you write down your goals, according to a Harvard study from like 1960, you're 60% more likely to achieve them than people that don't write. Have you heard of this idea at least? Yeah, I have heard of the idea, yeah. I, I read like a, a, an article and it was like, no one knows who said this and there definitely wasn't a Harvard study. And it's usually someone re-quoting it saying like, oh, Tony Robbins said it and he said this person said it. So this guy went round and he was like, Tony Robbins, did you say this? And he was like, no, I thought this guy said it. And then he'd go to this guy and be like, did you say it? He'd be like, no, I thought Tony Robbins said it. So it turned out to just be a lie. And how this all relates is there was actually, there's actually quite a bit of evidence of not writing down your goals or more importantly, not telling people. Is a, yeah. the, the not telling people is so key because once you've told people, you have that weird satisfaction of, so I've sort of already done it. I've told people I'm yeah. going to do it. So they think I'm so great. And then you don't, you're less likely to do it, which seems to me to be insane. So now I'm always like really careful about telling people I'm going to start a podcast. It's going to be great because then it will be like six months later and people will be like, dude, where is that podcast at? Did you start that podcast? And I'm still working on it. Still working on it. <laughs> I like to think I'm an executor, but I do take my time sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, you're busy. I, 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 I have been known to be busy. Um, so mini documentaries. How did this first come about? When did we start thinking this would be a good idea? I don't really remember. I don't know. Was it the rating thing? I feel it was before that. No, we wanted to do it, but we just don't have, didn't have the resources. And the rating thing was like, uh, Rayton, Rayton, we should Rayton, say Rayton. Rayton, sorry. Uh, they, uh, they gave us the money to basically do one, to, to actually try it. And it was great. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and it's like, now we, we still don't have the resources, but I think we're like, <laughs> we're going to work out a way to make this happen anyway. So I was, I was going to Liechtenstein yeah. anyway for this. And then I just, I had a friend there with me. And I was like, hey, dude, hold this. The, the DJI Osmo, for anyone who is at all into filmmaking in any way, from someone who really doesn't know much about filmmaking, is an amazing, amazing tool. you you got to sing these praises as, as well, right? It's like a... Yeah. With the Z-axis too, it's amazing how you can just like walk around long and you get that steady cam thing going on. And like, yeah, the, yeah. My only complaint is, is that sometimes on a bright day, you can't actually see if it's focused on your phone. Like we had that problem on the Rayton thing yeah I th there is quite a good autofocus. it was just quite tricky to find in the mm -hmm. all of the ones i shot were in focus in uh Liechtenstein, and i think that's because I, I i there was some autofocus mode or something but it's really not intuitive at all here i'm complaining mm -hmm. about this fantastic product um <laughs> but essentially it allows you to shoot like ste a steady cam is basically a camera which stays really steady so if you're like filming someone while they're walking it looks like it's really nicely stabilized there's a little bit of movement which looks good it's very smooth movement so like you can be presenting like talking about something while walking along or like you can be filming something and it just looks perfectly smooth and it just gives it this incredibly professional look like i'm blown away you just you can hold it for the first time and you walk away with like it's 4k as well 4k footage that just looks amazing mm -hmm. and the thing's like a thousand mm -hmm. bucks it's probably way cheaper in america i'm like converting it from the thousand yeah. dollars i, I had to it, pay I for this thing it is. yeah it's a bit uh, it's similar i think it's like 40 percent less or 30 percent <laughs> less or something <laughs> Yeah, it was 20, 21,000 crowns or 22,000 crowns, which is just over $1,000. Good times. Uh, <laughs> so does it ever make you feel like, you know, because what is like a million crowns in dollars? Like, right. What What is that? I think it's like $50,000. Okay. So that that is a lot. But like, but yeah, like to have like, does, is it like a thing? Because like in the US, you know, if you're a millionaire, you know, but like a million crowns, like, does that like it, people are like, whatever, that's, you know, not, you can't even buy a house with that. Yeah, no, you really can't. Like, <laughs> I recently bought a house and it's like it's several million crowns <laughs> so, so like what what is like the 
the equivalent when they're like, oh yeah, you're a you're a billionaire. Or no, because like, billionaire, you know? then you are really rich because that's like yeah. fifty million. So there's no like there's no like in between um, like a thing people say. No, you know, I, but even millionaire these days doesn't really mean like when I was a kid, if it was like, yeah. his dad's a millionaire, it'd be like, whoa. Yeah. And when my parents were kids, it'd be like, his dad's a millionaire, whoa. And now it's just yeah. like, okay, so you have in the UK, so you have a house. You have you have a you had a good job and fiscally responsible, and you know maybe you're in retirement age. Yeah, you're looking at a relatively later. frugal retirement. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's depressing. Inflation, yay. You must go to uh, Vietnam someday. Let me tell you, like one USD in Vietnamese dong is 22,000 Vietnamese dong. <laughs> you are literally a Vietnamese millionaire with 41, uh, 44 US dollars. So like no one actually carries around the money, right? Because that would be impossible. To, I mean, what are their, unless they're, is, what are their currencies? The, the notes are, the notes are huge. Um, but there you can be, be, you can be a billionaire with $44,000. But that's, that's the thing. A billionaire is a really big difference. The millionaire <laughs> is like what, $44. A billionaire is $44,000. It's this vast step up in wealth. Vietnamese currency. Oh, well, yeah, these things are big. The one I'm seeing here is, is just half a million. There's a half a million note. <laughs> that's crazy. The smallest one is 10,000. At some point, you just rebrand your money, right? You just say, all right, everyone, the 10,000 before, we're now just going to call that one. Didn't they do? I think they did that in Italy back in the day, and they certainly did it in Zimbabwe. A friend of mine has a, I think it's a billion dollar Zimbabwean note in his bathroom. Um, he, he went there on holiday and he was like and they were re-stamping them like hyperinflation in Germany they were just whoa <laughs> they have a note for 100 trillion dollars <laughs> that's amazing 50 trillion dollars 100 trillion dollars and then I have to imagine like when their software like their banking software and stuff I mean they're having to use like big big uh, big data you know variables there uh, data types to hold like quite a few zeros in there these 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 notes as well that those zeros are quite crammed in so the DJI Osmo is this amazing thing. It really lets you shoot all of this stuff. If you're making mini documentaries, please go, you know, we were shooting that rate rate on documentary on a GH4, which is is both of our regular cameras in our studios. You're on the GH4 as well, right? Yes. Yes. So it's a it's a solid 4K camera. And we had your brother along, Scott, who was who was yeah. Can we give Scott a plug? Is his is his thing out yet? Yes. I'm pretty confident in medical confessions. Go check it out. It's a, a group of firefighters slash paramedics, and they talk about. Uh, they have a podcast just talking about like uh, interesting. Honestly, if you if you like today, I found out, and you like medical stuff, you're gonna like their stuff. They just kind of talk about all sorts of different interesting medical facts and things. And we have a collaboration video that I was supposed to have done in late December, and we <laughs> shot it. We shot it in December, and uh, I was supposed to have it done for their launch, and I I I've, I've not had a chance to edit it yet. Uh, but that is on my list to do soon well don't tell anyone about it because it will reduce your chance of getting it done no it's it's good it's good it's on the top five i think it's five uh first aid uh, tips that everyone should know according to paramedics and they're they're really good like life-saving tips that like very simple you don't need any equipment uh for almost all of them just one that you do um but yeah it's it's i think it's going to be a really good video It, it was fun for me like when i went to 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 the states and met both you and scott how scott is a firefighter paramedic i had no idea that was a thing like i thought you are a firefighter or a paramedic it's like a double hero uh, that's pretty yeah cool. and the most 
mostly what they do is paramedic obviously that's like mostly you know the, all the calls they go on there's fire is yeah. much less but people get you know need have medical emergencies all the time so kind of a paramedic first slash firefighter second even though ironically they I, i'm pretty sure if i remember uh, he's told me before that they spend most of their money on the fire like the you know uh, your fire engines you got your your training is more in fire even though what they mostly do is paramedics so you know it's uh, th- not efficient use of resources i can't remember if it was a, a uk news or, or us news but there was the thing about firefighters and pensions and the pensions costing the the pensions were really the huge cost because the the healthcare and the early retirements really was super expensive compared to the number of fires that were actually being fought since you know you know like you say there's not really that many fires anymore <laughs> like yeah i hear loads of fire engines go past but it's usually just because someone's fire alarm's gone off because they put toast in there and then the sprinkler system came on or the toast the, the trip went off and so there's actually no fire to worry yeah. about it's yeah. yeah, but like people have heart attacks all the time. So yes, they, they home, do. You know, yes, they stuff do. Stuff like that. 20 documentaries I would love to do this year. I know we're already like, this year's going crazy fast. We're already in the end of February. I've done one so far, which I haven't yet published. So it's not really done. And I've got to do some audio balancing because as you rightly pointed out, one of those things is really a lot louder than the others. <laughs> second pair of eyes, second pair of ears. So I think I'll publish that this week. So when people, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe on I Friday. that's going to do well. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. one. Um, so if you definitely check that out, the video, the special one is the time Snoop Dogg tried to rent Liechtenstein. So or maybe I could do, <laughs> what do you think? The time Snoop Dogg tried to rent Li- Liechtenstein or the time Snoop Dogg tried to rent a country. Yeah. Country. I'd go country. with the country. I'd go with country. Okay, cool. We'll yeah. go with country. Yeah, so I don't know, 20... I like setting myself big goals because I feel it's better to make big goals and not hit them than to make small goals and then be like, what shall I do for like August, September, October, November, <laughs> December? Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Realistic? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're, you know, editor would, would be helpful so you didn't have to edit them all. That's uh, true. The editing but... is, is time-consuming. But Rayton, uh, Rayton, sorry, took... That took basically two weeks of full-time work. Mm-hmm. And my full-time is not regular people full-time. <laughs> it's, it's not 40 hours a week. <laughs> this one took two afternoons. So the amount mm-hmm. I learned from one to two was crazy. Having the plan yeah. made a huge difference. Knowing what to shoot mm-hmm. made a huge difference. It's, I, I would say total time spent, 10 times less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. granted it's shorter I, and I think just as we go forward and then I'm making notes all the time about so okay this works like this we should do this like this and then I think once we've got mm-hmm. an editor to kind of help us or a producer more to help us kind of do this kind of stuff then it will be then it will be quick we can we can work out the, the moving pieces mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're also going to different places we're meeting in Amsterdam in next yeah. month in like a month is that really in a month or is it in April it is a month you should get your you should get your you plane ticket book my flight that's gonna get expensive damn <laughs> <laughs> um, they used to have this overnight bus from Prague uh, overnight bus that would be a nightmare overnight train from uh, like a sleeper train from Prague to Amsterdam so you could go to sleep in Prague and you would wake up mm-hmm. in Amsterdam and it was amazing because like short or flight you spend more time in the airport and going to and from the airport than you yeah. do actually on the plane like waiting in the terminal for like an hour and a half or whatever this it was awesome and there's no passports there's no nothing no one's waking you up in the night because it's European Union to like check your passports and stuff it's just you wake up you get off the train and you're in the center of amsterdam but alas that overnight doesn't exist anymore which is a great shame and it was it was the same price so i was thinking we we could do a couple there and then mm-hmm. we should also are we thinking we'd meet in london this year as well i'd like to at some point uh that would we have like i don't know what do we got like five six things all planned out we just need to you know spend like a week or something touring around filming i had three locked in for sure but we have space for more for sure so how, how long do you think we'd need i don't know i mean I, I probably each one would take at least a day of shooting for each one so yeah 
I would say I would say one day. Yeah, and a little travel time in between, maybe. This will be great, and I think you know there you can do four or five, and then you don't have to release them all at once. So it's not going to be like, oh man, so many documentaries about London. It'll be like mm-hmm. you can release them over a schedule. So I think we could do three in Amsterdam or two in Amsterdam, five in London. I'm probably going on a trip with. Uh, I'm going to Sri Lanka later this year, so I could probably film one there on my honeymoon, mm-hmm. getting married. So oh, nice going there. It's where we, <laughs> we met. Should, so we I don't know if there. you should be film <laughs> film on your honeymoon. You, you might just relax. <laughs> you might just think about relaxing. I am. Um, I don't know. I'm the worst. I cannot relax. Uh, like the idea of sitting on a beach for a week or something, I would actually go insane. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's be... uh, anytime I have free time as well. I'm like, all right, what project can I do? <laughs> that laptop would be out on that deck chair, and I'd be asking about the Wi-Fi password. Mm, about an hour in, I'd be like, okay, I've done enough, and I would be reading a non-fiction book up until that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a great holiday relaxing. The other things, I'm probably going to go on a road trip with a friend of mine this year, so I thought maybe find somewhere, get him to hold the camera. I, d- I just recruit the people I travel with to be my crew. Like you'll see, <laughs> you see in that video, I gave uh, my friend Fonseca special credit because he was the guy holding the camera for the whole thing. <laughs> nice. Although he makes he, an appearance at one point. He like does, in a reflector. definitely does. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. There was, there was a couple of things which, like I did a couple of takes, but I screwed up both takes. So there was one where he's reflected in the window because on the other one, I screw up the, the audio and I couldn't stitch it together. And then yeah. at the end, the camera cuts out, and uh, sorry, the audio cuts out, and so I just had to yeah. record the end bit on my studio mic, so it sounds a bit weird. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think that's like the one thing that we like just always back up a backup of everything always. Oh yeah, well, I'm like, so this time it's like I'll do second takes, and that'll be fine. Next time I'm like, okay do at least two takes of each one. It was also really hard because it was really quite snowing quite heavily. So the camera was getting wet and all of this stuff. Another thing, great tip for next time. When you're there, just read through. Because I was using, I had an earpiece which would Mm -hmm. feed me the, the script. So I could, mm-hmm. you know, say it out loud. So it would read in my ear and then a few seconds later I'd say it, which was mm-hmm. weird and really tricky yeah. to get used to. But, yeah. you you know, you can't remember all of that stuff. It would be a crazy yeah. amount to memorize. And you don't want to be like cutting all the time to go and read your read your notes because it looks bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was that was hard to get used to. So I was stumbling over my words. So another thing would be to use your lav mic and then record. Don't even worry about the camera. Just stand there and record just a voiceover track wherever you are. So you have the same acoustics and everything. Mm -hmm. And then if you screw it up, you can stitch it over and it'll probably look okay. Or Mm -hmm. you can stitch some B-roll or something. And you can read the script from text, which would be super good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these are the, these are the little things like learning these every time by the end of the year we actually might be good at these <laughs> yeah. they check out the links well, I want. I'm quite proud of it that's the thing is like the first time you do anything I found it oh. just always it's always awful no matter how much you prepare it's just like it's bad and then you know then the second time is always so much better like it, it's just like a massive improvement and then you sort of like this like having over time of like it gets a little bit better and a little bit better and then at a certain point then you actually have to try you know like really try to get better to actually yeah. improve I think you can there's always talked about that 80-20 rule like with this where it's like you get mm-hmm, you know, yeah, yeah. and you can get to 80% quite easily and then it's like just making things really good requires mm-hmm. a lot more effort like books mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. school and guides and more help that sort of thing to get really feedback feedback yeah, yeah. oh um, speaking of feedback we have a forum I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> you can find it at <laughs> forums.todayfoundout.com. Let us know what you think of this episode. I've also got a book recommendation related to this, which we were kind of thinking about talking about books in this thing, but I didn't really want to talk about this one because it's a really practical book. 
and I want to go through, rather than like read it all in one chunk, I wanted to use it and learn from it and apply those things. It's called How to Shoot Video That Doesn't Suck. I know you've also got a copy of this, right? Yes, and I'm uh, I'm not quite done with it yet, but yes, it, it's good so far. I've learned a lot. It's sort of that a lot of the uh, basic stuff you might not think about, but it's like so simple that like yes. uh, you're like, oh yeah, that, and it just like markedly improves what you're doing, even though it's just like a simple little trick. It's a it's a it's a good book. Yeah, I'm so keen like um, to start applying everything I'm learning and just just building this skill and getting better at this and mm-hmm. yeah i like building skills i like getting better at things like uh mm-hmm. like i always share for our, our good friends at, uh, like i always say in the episodes for our good friends at skillshare who are not sponsoring this episode but they sponsor they a should. lot so they should <laughs> they, sh- they should sponsor us more Here someone should talking. sponsor someone should sponsor us because it's really expensive to host this I'm, I'm very interested to see what people think. I think the Liechtenstein one turned out really well. Um, and people like the people like the Rayton one, and, and, and that wasn't nearly as good as this one. Yeah. I mean, like, I felt like it was it was interting to go see, like, the particle accelerator and what they were doing. But it was the actual, so, such like, a different idea. Yeah, the, the production of it wasn't. We did not do uh, nearly as good as, as you've done here on the Liechtenstein. Well, let's see what people think. Yeah, if you see that video. Uh, you could also give us feedback on that video. We I don't know if you heard. We have a we have a forum which <laughs> which which you can find at forums.todayfound.com. We're really pushing this forum and not this newsletter. If you happen to be a mini documentary maker or have experience and want to give us tips on the forum, yeah, you should definitely do that. Bit of a shorter Q and A this week. I'm looking at the the document now. Last week we had basically a page of questions this week and i think we just pulled a few from there this week we just have a few a few a few less anything stick out to you that you kind of compiled these is, is the one you'd like to address first let's do the first one royal insanity asks how does an american and a brit get to making videos on the same channel Ooh, good question I think we just did an AMA, didn't we? And I must have answered mm-hmm. this question a few times. I wasn't sure what the etiquette or reticat on that is. Like, if I, I must have answered the fact that my favorite video was the one about the eggnog riots in uh, in mm-hmm. West Point, like six or seven times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about that more in the business section. But yeah, lots of lots of repetition. But a fortuitous email was my is my is always my short answer to that question, right? Yeah, you emailed me and you said, "Hey, I'm gonna do all this work for you for free, and then we'll both make money." Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> That did not work out for a long time. (laughs) No, it didn't. You did a lot of work for free for a long time. I read, uh, I think we discussed this maybe even last episode. I think we both read a lot of biographies or autobiographies. One thing that I have always noticed is that people who are really successful, everyone who's successful does stuff for free. And so this was kind of Mm -hmm. my thing. It's like, get on the radar. If you want to do something bigger, you can't just go and expect to get paid per hour because then you'll always be getting paid per hour. And then you never really Mm -hmm. build anything. Oh, we should probably say what you did for free was at first the audiobook. Yeah. Uh, the Wise Book of Wise, which actually you can buy the Wise Book of Wise if you go to Amazon. Ooh, there you go. Or Audible. It's or, or, You know, you can get the Audible. audiobook version too. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> if you'd like Simon to get paid as well, you should yeah. buy the Audible version. <laughs> and I think then we, we transitioned to a podcast, which did quite well. But the it did format- very well. Yeah, what six millions. million views or something? Yeah, yeah, which isn't isn't giant when you look at YouTube views and stuff like that. But for oh, a yeah. podcast, no, for, I, that is assuredly large. Right? Yeah, and we yeah, we a, were pulling. Well, it was about it was almost a half a million downloads a month or so. Yeah, I feel like for a stretch there, which was which is which is large, which is significant. The only the, the problem is like why we shut that down. Put it. YouTube pays for all your hosting, and when you're feeding videos, if you were feeding those videos to people yourself, that would be really expensive. As we found out with hosting a podcast, the hosting fees 
were I don't know if it was was it, it never really kind of got into the thousands but it was hundreds of dollars a month and we weren't really making any money <laughs> no. well because we had a horrible horrible format for ha- running ads like it was like these five minute episodes and they want like a two minute ad it's like that's not gonna work yeah it was uh it was unfortunate and because I thought the show it was like a really nice it's idea. still really popular today and it's not been updated in ever how long has it been do you say a year uh, two years, I two think. Years, Maybe wow. even three. Wow. I'm not sure, but uh, it still gets, uh, I want to say, what is it, like 40 or 50,000 downloads or 30? I can't remember now. Wow, that's crazy. Can't yeah. believe we've been working together so long. That was, that. yeah, so you can't really do, you can't really do adverts on a, on a show that is five minutes long because advertisers want five minute long <laughs> adverts and then no one likes yeah. that. They were uh, not open to our 20 second suggestions. <laughs> I think we decided, I, I, I think at this point, I had been having quite a bit of luck on the Top 10s channel on YouTube YouTube, and I was like, "Do you want to try putting this on YouTube? Because then we don't have to pay for any any uh, any bandwidth." Is that how that began? I, I always lose track of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd wanted to start like obviously we had those couple videos uh, a couple years before that did really well, like the um, "Why Do Superheroes Wear Their Underwear on the Outside," which got like I don't know six hundred thousand views or something. It was like yeah. one of the first videos, and then I had that I had that pirate phrase one that I literally recorded with a sock over my uh, phone, my wow. little old Motorola H as like a little pop filter and uh, that was the that's the first video if you scroll way back the audio is just really awful on that one i haven't looked at that in years scroll back all the way to how many videos do we have now 900 uh, and I, something yes yeah, something yeah scroll right back to the beginning and see see what's up with that if you want to can also see like we've been recently talking a lot about you know uh what i was calling tfo, TFO videos 3.0 where our first videos were i wasn't on the screen it was just me doing a, a fairly hello welcome to today i found out <laughs> This is a video we're going to be talking about is inhaling alcohol bad for you? And it would be kind of boring to be a quite lame slideshow. Now I look back on it and I was like, oh, this, wasn't, this wasn't great. And then we kind of got on the screen and upped our visual quality quite a bit. And I think now we're just talking about what's the next, what's the next step for that one. Yeah, what about Ahmed's question? How are you guys able to put out seven... Oh, we were just talking about this before we uh, before we hit record. Seven videos a week, ensuring full accuracy. How much time does it take to research all of this stuff? How do you come up with the topics in your videos? How large is your team? Well, we talked a bit about the team in episode one, I guess. So mm-hmm. people could go back and listen to that. This is this is really your realm, dude. Yeah, the uh, well, for the script side, it's the... Uh, so we have a large team, basically. I don't know. The, um, the, the, the exact team size varies over time, but I mean... There's been a couple dozen people who have worked for um, writing, researching, and that takes, I don't know, like, I would say probably, what do you say, for the for the full production, about 24 hours or so, uh, give or take. Um, there's give obviously take. It, Depending on the length yeah. of the video, com- combining everyone's hours together, I think we, we made a really good video. Here I am plugging my own videos again. Uh, we made <laughs> we made a video about our production process, the, the whole thing for the when we got a million subscribers. So we can put that in the show notes. Yeah. And that really went yeah. through the whole process. And I think we ended up thinking it was about a day's worth of work once everyone's hours were considered. Yeah, they had, to, I mean, it gets, there's exceptions. Like there's this one time I was researching uh, Nellie Bly. Did, have we actually posted a video on Nellie Bly yet? I don't know. Nellie Bly came have. up really really recently she she's great and i i got the rabbit hole i i I went like a week straight where nothing but researching nelly bly (laughs) to the point where my notes were so long i i could have written a book and so i i ended up having to just walk away from it and i just gave i passed it off to one of the authors and i was like here you do this and uh, i'll I'll just not because i can't this will take way 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 too long and it'll be like you know twenty thousand words when i'm done with it i thought you were gonna say that so so i went away and wrote a book about nelly bly (laughs) (laughs) no if i would have at the time i hadn't 
enough notes and everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating woman. You should do a, You should cover her on biographics. Uh, remind me what she did. She did a lot of things. She was a. She basically got her start uh, reporting because she she didn't like uh, around the world lady. Was, yeah, she, that was yes. one of the things she did. So she wrote a letter, a nasty letter, to the editor of this newspaper, who had basically wrote, if I remember correctly, women should be at home, and that's where that's where <laughs> they belong. And so she wrote this just like nasty letter, and he loved it so much that he hired her, and then she became like this really awesome reporter, and she she got herself admitted to an insane asylum, like through this elaborate means, and and, and only one person knew she wasn't actually insane and wow. that was the editor and she gets in there and she did a like a feature on that which which um, changed how um, insane asylums are run quite a bit because they were pretty um, amazingly awful back then and then she yeah, she did the around the world in uh, 80 days traveling around the world as a woman in the early what was it early 1900s by herself which was kind of a big deal back then yeah um, yeah yeah she did a lot of amazing things and wrote a lot of a lot of awesome articles what I found most most amazing about her admission to the mental hospital was how she was acting crazy before to get in there but as soon as she was admitted she was like stone cold sane like yeah, ex- she dropped exactly. the insane act and they would not discharge her yeah exactly and then they just like it was a crazy how they would have them like sit on these like wooden boards all day long and that's what the patients had to do they, and no talking just sitting there just sitting and she was just like she was like if you weren't insane before you came here you definitely you would be would made be. insane <laughs> like very quickly <laughs> I, I found that unbelievable oh and her traveling around the world with a luggage I remember there was I can't remember if it was a quote or maybe you just uh, you just written it in there as like a, a bit of research but how women were expected to travel with like basically what seemed like an entourage of luggage carts worth of things and she was mm-hmm. like I don't need that. It's, she's a woman before her time. Yeah, she was, she was a pretty awesome woman. And yeah, I spent like a week just researching and then I couldn't even write the article because I was just like, no, I can't here. And I think I passed it. I think it was Emily Upton did it. She was just, I was like, here, you do, you do this piece. I can't do it. <laughs> awesome. To answer Ahmed's question, 24 hours, I, I, I guess. Sometimes much longer, sometimes yeah. a little shorter. What about the topics? This is this is one we answered on that. With, I guess this because we did this in as we we're recording this. We did the we were finishing up the AMA on Reddit yesterday. So mm-hmm. a lot of these mm-hmm. are in my mind. You know, doing that, I realized I learned a lot about your process and and, and the things you kind of do because you know yeah. the, the topics question you answered so many times on there because people love to repeat the questions and I was like that's that's interesting stuff. But but yeah. answer it. How do and you I also that? learned I also learned just an aside Star Trek First Contact. Number three for you on favorite movies? Yes. I don't know if you I should that. be criticized or whether you should be no, having a go at me no. for this being number not being number one. No, that's the one I'm going for because I also it's in like my top five and I don't know anyone else who has that like that high up. But that movie was amazing. This I, if anyone feels this same way, I could not encourage you more strongly to get over to our forum and please, please, I need people to discuss the glory of what is Star Trek First Contact. I've seen that movie 30 or 40 times. And I come mm-hmm. back to that movie every couple of years, always. It is, yeah, yeah, it is great, and the soundtrack's good. Like it's got this great soundtrack, and that. Well, I shouldn't spoiler in the final scene where they're like meeting the Vulcans. Like the, they have that like overarching, like awesome, like music going on. It's it's, it's great. I I, I gotta share. Okay, if, if you share your favorite scene, I'll share mine. Uh, I love that Vulcan one as well, dude. Yeah. Where is Picard's talk with Worf on the bridge? This is only yeah. for hardcore. TNG fans because it's like it's so insane all of the backstory to this like about the Klingons and their honor and all of this and if you're not familiar with the fact that Picard is basically 
you know, he's not he's not a captain. He's an ambassador, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. his role mm-hmm. is as a diplomat. He's not Kirk. He's just this incredibly mm-hmm. diplomatic British man. And when mm-hmm. he's just like, on the bridge, you're a coward. I'm like, oh, this is the best scene of me. I watched that on YouTube with a regular... I was watching it after the AMA. I was like, I'm just going to go watch <laughs> that scene because it's just amazing. And then when he, when he smashes the, 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 the thing with the, yeah. with the phaser rifle... Woo. Yeah, that's that's probably my favorite scene. I think is the Vulcan one at the very end, mm-hmm. but like before that is the one between him and uh, I think it was is her name Lily? Yes, correct. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Where, where you where go chase your whale? Yeah, discussing Moby Dick, and I love when she's just like, "I've never read it," <laughs> but like for him, like this well-read, you know, like he totally like it gets him. Like wait, everyone else's complaints doesn't reach him, and then like that one, just the Moby Dick reference, and he's like, "Oh yeah." So, you know how we made, like, we've, we've talked a couple of times and here we are doing our second in, uh, episode without an, an interview. You know, we made that list of, like, many people who would like to interview. And these are kind of ridiculously unattainable. I want to add Patrick Stewart to that, you know, this, this the dream interview yeah. list. That would be amazing. Amazing. We, also, we, we actually did get a response from a Nobel Prize winner. That was Ooh. awesome. Yeah, but he turned us down. But we got a response. <laughs> got a reply. And it was a very nice response. And it was actually his, his entire, two thousand, as you might expect, his entire 2018 is booked. Like his, they, they plan it ahead. And, he, you know, so I was going to reply, well, how about 2019? How do you feel about that? It's <laughs> surprising a Nobel Prize winner would have his, have his schedule, schedule busy. Yeah. Wow, we are moving away from the Q&As today. But I think we, uh, <laughs> we got your question, Ahmed. And uh, then moved on to a deep discussion about Star Trek First Contact. Oh, wait. Wait, wait, we should we should actually answer how do you come up with the topics in your videos? So real oh, briefly, yeah. <laughs> there's there's like the three one you just when you do this every day, like you, you just think stuff up all the time, like your brain just, you know, like when you're not your brain just like clicks like, oh, I wonder about that. And then you write it down and whatever. That's a great topic. And then you have like people suggesting topics and also asking uh, questions. And we like the really zany questions, as you probably noticed mm-hmm. if you follow the channel. And so, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, like those. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then just when you're researching other stuff, like you always come across more stuff, more, like more than one art. Like if you're researching an article, you're going to come across more than one new topic idea. Like mm-hmm. and you just write them down. Um, and like any one of those is plenty to sustain like a pace of one or two, um, one or two articles a day or whatever, um, which is more than we could do uh, anyway. And so when you combine them all, we just have like this massive, massive backlog. So, yeah, that's how we come up with the ideas. I don't know how to pronounce that one. Lewell Stamp? Lewell Stamp? Sounds sounds good. Uh, This one's specific to me. How did Simon come to live in Prague? There's another one on the AMA. Every time I mention that I, I, I live in Prague for which people don't know. I know there's a, there's a small Prague in, in, in the US. I, I don't live there. I live in the, the original one <laughs> in, in Central Europe, in Czech Republic, or what has now been rebranded to Czechia, I think, last year, now appearing on Google Maps as Czechia, which is always interesting. Really? Yeah, they, uh, they basically registered a different name at the UN. Interesting. I don't remember the reason why. <laughs> this is, I think that they felt Czech Republic sounded a bit, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It is a republic. Mm-hmm. It is, it is it's like, yeah, well, that's a that's like a that's a lot of name changes because you have Czechoslovakia and then you have the Czech Republic and now they, what is it? It's it's fascinating because like the Czech people, you know, they've existed for a long time, but Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. was what after the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and then it was just mm-hmm. Czech, and now the uh, Czech Czech Republic, and now they're changing their name. It's, whenever they celebrate a holiday here, I'm like, so this is the foundation of which part and which country? Because <laughs> it's like, is this Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic or the independence from like the Austro? Like what? But uh, so. So how did I actually come to live here? Well, many years ago, after I left university, I did an internship.
internship with a student's organization called ISEC, which some people listening have probably heard of. It's quite a big, I don't know if that's a big thing in the States, but it's quite a big thing here over in Europe. And basically they arrange like internships around the world, like student exchanges where you go somewhere to work for a period of time. I went off to Sri Lanka and at the same time, my now fiance actually is, uh, oh, oh, you didn't know this. I don't think, I, I don't think I did now. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm getting yeah. married in the summer. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I have this. I have had this conversation with a few friends because I don't really know, like, how do I announce this? And then I'll be telling people and they'll be like, Simon, you already told me. <laughs> but then someone else, like, I was having a dinner, uh, dinner with a really good friend of mine. And he was like, you're getting married? You didn't tell me. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I was doing uh, a student internship in Sri Lanka and as at the same time my future fiance was also she is from Czech Republic she was there at the same time same place doing an internship as well basically you know they'd assign you different apartments to live in we were there were three or four of us I think sharing in a four three at first four later sharing an apartment together and one thing led to another and then after that uh, eventually I was like I will I would like to move to Czech and here I am 2018 still here <laughs> still going strong yeah so that's that's how i came to prague sock blaster why does every youtube channel bleh, why does every youtube channel you know i'm overthinking about this now because last week we talked about how british people say youtube rather than youtube <laughs> and now when i say it i'm purposefully trying to pronounce the t which will upset the british listeners because they'll always give me a hassle you get, for you get so American. much yeah i was actually looking at the daily knowledge podcast reviews when <sighs> i when we posted that little update to you know direct people to new podcasts and like that was always like the complaint it's like stop faking your accent and stuff like it's like really that that's just how, that's his accent what are you guys talking about i was saying like i can't really do a good american accent but maybe i could just fake midwest or you know that kind of uh, general is it is midwest is that kind of american standard right is that the like the neutral accents mm. I it's, it, I, it almost sounds the same to me i don't know <laughs> why does every youtube channel still sh- i can't i can't do this i i always end up sounding sarcastically southern i think <laughs> does dislike mean anything uh why does every youtube channel shill that's also a tongue twister. Liking the... This is also not a well-written question, Sock Blaster. I apologize. Or maybe we transcribed it wrong. Like... Uh, uh, the question's about why do we always ask people to like and subscribe at the end of the video? What does a like get to you? What does a subscribe get to you? Does a dislike mean anything? A dislike means just a little part of my soul dies. Uh, I don't think it makes... <laughs> I don't think it makes any difference in the algorithm. In fact, this information is probably a bit out of date, but, you know, I, I, I do my research about around what YouTube is up to. Apparently, dislike just counts as, like, social engagement because you'll see videos that have, you know, half likes, half dislikes, often ones that uh, are dealing with a contentious political issue when you've got one half saying one thing and one half saying the other. They will get plenty of plenty of viewership. It's It, it doesn't seem to hurt them. It just seems to be like a voting thing and it, it all seems to count as social engagement, which YouTube likes. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you heard any difference? No, I mean, it's possible it counts for, like, a little bit, but, like, so small that you could never, unless you actually could see the algorithm they use you would never actually notice you know yeah. one way or the other but yeah like you said they, they'd re- much rather that engagement and when you do get like half the people on one side arguing one thing and half the other on the other are very polarized that's a, like a great way to like drive amazing amount of views which is of course you know yes. good for YouTube because the guy talking about banning guns or whatever he's going to get a lot of interest from people who want ba- guns banned and a lot of interest from people who don't want guns banned <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> one way or the other um uh, what does a subscribe get you? Very simply, it gets you a subscriber. 
my my kind of opinion on subscribers is it's it's really it's kind of a vanity metric these days because YouTube's algorithm is is much more important about your video's exposure. Like you can have a million subscribers and you can just get no views or really small numbers, you know, views in the tens of thousands or even thousands on a new video if if YouTube just decides that. Subscribers just seem to be mm-hmm. largely a vanity metric these days. I think they were more important in the past because if someone was a subscriber and then, you know, uh, you would make a new video, they'd get a notification on their homepage or on their app on the phone or whatever. But nowadays, that doesn't really happen unless someone hits that bell, and which is why you hear people saying like, don't forget to subscribe and hit that bell below to get notifications. Yeah, anything to add there? Uh, no, you got, you got it. What does a like get you? Well, that brings back a little bit of my soul that was lost when someone disliked. Simple as that. I think very much similar to a dislike, but maybe a little bit of positivity in the algorithm. Who knows? We are just speculating wildly because it is a black box. Game theorists do good videos about this. They really dive into the data. Um, I watched one recently, that one from December, about, uh, you know, people complaining about YouTube and discovery and all of this stuff. If you want to learn a lot about YouTube, definitely check out their videos uh, on, on that stuff. They really get into the data. Last question. You want to take it? Yeah, sure. Jennifer uh, Montgomery, what videos do you have the most fun researching? By the way, um, Jennifer Montgomery sounds like a... I read that and I was like, is Je- someone's asking us a video about the YouTube... Uh, a question about the YouTuber Jennifer Montgomery. It sounds like a great YouTuber name. Like, I don't know why. Just like Jennifer Montgomery. It sounds like she'd be doing something on YouTube. I don't know what. Like, it's, it's a good YouTuber close. name. Yeah. <laughs> clothes. Clothes. Um, yeah. There's JM was- for short. You know, all of branding would be JM. And it would be kind of like that Roger Federer where the R and the F are stylized together because that J and the M could go. So, ah, the J could lead in into the first stroke of the M and she could brand her clothing like this. Jennifer, if you're listening. That does sound like a clothing line. I would, I would definitely go. That's a clothing line right there. You could, uh, Um, once you're huge, Jennifer, we're always looking for sponsors on today. I found (laughs) out. So, you know, you could come over. I I mean, you might have to branch out into men's clothing given our audience, but (laughs) Uh, so I would say for me, it's the it's the ones that I find the most fun are the ones where the answer isn't definitively known like anywhere. And so we have to like really dig into the archives of like newspapers from like the 1700s or, you know, like these sorts of things and really to actually try to f- come up with the answer or like maybe like a, like the can shaking one, which is my favorite one we've done so far is it's just like you have to just do the research yourself like that. That's a lot of fun. It's less fun when, you know, somebody already knows the answer and someone's already figured it out. And so then then I mean like we look into all the related stuff and try to make like a really interesting piece that's somewhat unique but it, it's not as fun anyone stick out particularly for you I'm always like interested in the stuff the uh, the dolphin one maybe do you remember the um, Polaris Jack dolphin I don't know if we've actually done it on YouTube so you might not have come across it wait 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 is, literally... this, is this the one about the women and the dolphin and their uh... no 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 <laughs> okay, <so laughs> okay this... we gotta we gotta keep this non-explicit but there's definitely did we do this video or did I do this video no, on no that has to be on something else okay. <laughs> top 10 Probably. This is the, the woman in the uh, her, uh, but she was a scientist. She was a legitimate scientist, and mm-hmm. this is just coming from Simon's vague memories of things. But there was definitely something about her and a dolphin, and the dolphin's distraction when it was sexually frustrated, and her. 
Tell me about your dolphin story, David. <laughs> Much more family friendly. Polaris Jack. Uh, Polaris Jack was this dolphin, right? And he was in um, oh New Zealand or something like that, uh, I think. So there was this channel and he was just known. Like he would just show up all the time with these ships. And so like the story goes and literally every place, every modern source we could find says this dolphin would guide the ships through this dangerous part of the of the strait. And like this is and I was just like, no, there is no ship captain that's going to trust, <laughs> to trust that the dolphin, dolphin. understands his ship's capability or whatever like that is not going to happen but every source including like on like the they had like a Polaris Jack website like everyone everywhere really reputable sources were saying this I'm like no no and so I spent many many hours trolling through I think it was a couple days ended up being trolling through these old newspaper archives till I finally found like contemporary accounts from people who'd actually seen the dolphin and uh, and yeah no he was just a dolphin who'd like to have fun like w- you know jumping in the waves of ships and he was like what made him unique in a world story at the time was that he just uh, he he was always there like you know dolphins don't have to sleep for like uh, eight like eight consecutive hours when they sleep I should say they do have to sleep about eight hours a day but when they do sleep they only shut off like half their brain at once because oh, they have to come is- up True? I heard about this. I always assumed it was like an urban legend. No, because yeah, because they were drowned otherwise, you know, so oh. they always have to be somewhat, <laughs> they, they become like somewhat, you know, catatonic, but they're still aware of what's going on around yeah. them and can sw- swim up to the surface. So he would just see, see the boats and it would go. And so he would just wake himself up, go jump in the ships and then disappear and whatever. Like this was, this was actually the thing. And it was kind of a sad story because they, the thought was, is that he was just, uh, he was just a dolphin who the rest of his little pod had been killed or died or whatever. And so he was all by himself and he was probably the only one of his type i can't remember the um, exact type of dolphin he was but within about a thousand miles it was estimated and so he's just you know he lived his life there and it, it was just what he did for fun was jump in the thing so we ended up writing <laughs> so the whole thing he, he's not guided boats he's just a regular lonely dolphin who likes just boats. Adult, exactly it was <laughs> and it was this so this is why it hasn't been on youtube yet because it's literally like it's just four or five thousand Four or five thousand words just saying no, this isn't true. Like this is just a normal dolphin. These are my favorite ones on YouTube where someone's like, you know, T T L D R, uh no. No. He well, wasn't guiding the votes. <laughs> Any of the debunking ones always end up being way longer because you have to cover like every possible thing. People are going to be like, no, no, I heard this one thing. And you got to be like, nope, right here. That's not true. And you got to like prove every little thing or else people will come back. So, yeah, they always end up being longer. And so that's why it hasn't been a script on um, on, on the YouTube channel, because I, I think everyone would sh- turn it off like after one minute. Whenever I whenever I read a script and I, I, I know you've gone deep when you say something and this this was perhaps one of my favorites where you say like, you know, According to the Oxford English Dictionary, they say this, and you're like, actually, in this case, the OED is wrong. Nobody bats a thousand, guys. And it's like, yeah. you know, this is a major, like, they're working on their third edition for like 30 years. We were just talking about this yeah. the other day. I, to be clear, I love the OED. They're amazing, and like, they provide a lot of good sources. But yeah, sometimes they get stuff wrong. Everybody gets stuff wrong sometimes. Yeah. But then I know you've gone deep because most people would check the OED and be like, this is a fact. Not at today, I found out. We don't mess around. Another week, another brain food. How did you find it? That was good. This was one of my. I really liked the the um, the main section of this one. That was this something I I really liked researching that one. It was a lot of fun. It's so crazy, like to think how different. You know, like, like can you imagine that today? Like, I mean, I suppose you do get like the little. You do have like the mob, like internet mob thing happen, but it's not like it's not like in person. No. You know, you're not like having people come up to you on the street type of thing, and so then they. I don't know. It's just kind of kind of crazy. I think. Yeah, I think, in a way, maybe a lot of this went online. 
a lot of this social pressure so now it's it's a lot easier to get in touch with people and and make people do things but i i really can't think of an extreme example quite like that you know 10 year olds and victoria cross winners being accosted in the street yeah. to go to war is is and then wild. going to war and like dying you know like oh, yeah. that's it yeah like that's just insane yeah fighting people who don't really want to be fighting you yeah yeah oh. <laughs> Just because of some like, episode, <laughs> yes, yeah, so, some treaty someone made back before like anyone in government was even you know around. It's just like oh yeah, we had this thing, and so now we're all gonna kill each other. Well, I'm glad we at least busted the fact that it wasn't just because some Serbian dude shot the uh, the archduke. It was actually yeah. basically his. I can't believe it's his dad. I didn't know that. Just looking for an excuse to, uh, to yeah. start a war. It's like I'm glad my son is dead. How how did yeah. how did he put it? It was so it was much more put like a like an emperor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let me, let me God will not be mocked. A higher power has put back the order I couldn't maintain. I don't know. I'm doing it in a very British thing, but he was yeah German. So I mean, God presumably, will not be mocked. <laughs> presumably, he felt some affection for his son on some level, but like <laughs> at much. the same time, as as the as the you know leader of the nation or whatever, he probably also felt obligation to his people that like he needs to have a good heir. So, and this was not one. Yes. And then he went off and started one of the most pointless and devastating wars of all time. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Good man. Uh, <laughs> good, good job of taking care of your people. Yes. And so, then, yeah. iTunes, Google Play, uh, go rate, review. Um, it subscribe. helps us out a lot particularly yeah we were we would appreciate that it's especially useful in these early days of the podcast because there's this thing mm. it's called new and noteworthy you might have seen it on itunes you probably have discovered a bunch of your podcasts by the fact that it would appear in that new and noteworthy thing so doing that leaving a review really does help us get on people's radar it gets more people listening to this show which ultimately means that we might get advertisers for this show which means we can keep continue making this show so if you do like it please do all of those things we really do appreciate it <laughs> Well, maybe people will hate our personalities.